Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everyone, to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jesse Collings. And joining me today, returning to the show, many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with him. He is the founder of VoicesOfWrestling.com. He is the host of the flagship wrestling podcast and the flagship wrestling Patreon page. And not only is he those two things, but he is also a fellow enthusiast of Filipino amateur basketball, it is Rich Krejci. Rich, how are you doing Hello. today? Hello. Oh, how are you? Yeah. So uh, I, I, I'm debating if we should give context to the Filipino basketball thing. Oh, I, I was planning it right and let people. <laughs> it's up to you. I, I think like, oh wow, I didn't realize these guys were. And then you know, people start sending well, us stuff, or it, it's up to you. But well, I, you I, don't I, have I, to. You don't have to worry about people sending you stuff because no, you're I getting get all the latest uh, info. <laughs> right. Um. So the the context of this is that a few months ago, uh, me and Rich both discovered that we were uh we had the same experience on facebook which was getting these like recommended pages and videos for us and they were all like uh appeared to be like amateur leagues in the philippines and like you i tend to get mostly video of, of this you seem to get like news updates and like people talking yes. about like game results and stuff like that Right. And this isn't like FIBA Filipino basketball. This isn't like the main Filipino basketball league, which is actually like a pretty relevant, you know, international basketball league. No, it's like, it's like, you won't believe what happened to like random team that I can't pronounce is like starting point guard, random guy. And I'm like, all right, I don't know who these people are. And then one time I, I did click on the article and that's my problem. I clicked on the article once. And yeah, I discovered it was like, like you said, like semi-pro. I mean, no one's in the audience. It appears to be at like a, a rec center gym. And I'm like, why am I getting this? And then it decided, and I was getting all these way before I even clicked that one article. But then I clicked that article and it was like, yep, we got him. We, we were right. Like the algorithm gods were like, yes, we nailed it. We knew this guy loved amateur slash semi-pro Filipino basketball news updates. And now like half my feet is just like unbelievable performance. But I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. It's uh. Yeah, it's not it's not like the league Andre Blatch played in. Right, like, right, right. Like the I think it's like the PBA, the Philippine Basketball Association. It's not that. Yeah, PBA it's, or PBL, I forget which one it is. But that's yeah. like a, a relevant international league and if they gave me that I'd be like, "Eh, all right, that's fine." Cuz it like that article could be if it, it would make sense of like, "Here, this ex NBA player is killing it in Philippines." And yeah. I'm like, "Oh, that's actually fun that, you know, Tyreek Evans is still, you know, <laughs> dropping 45 a game. That's cool." So Yeah, I, I get the videos and links of like Dwight Howard in Taiwan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And those uh, I want and those I want and I enjoy. Yeah. Cause I want to see like, um, yeah, it's, it's very strange. And it was f- very funny because you just mentioned it. 
on like uh i think it was in the slack like a, like i forget and then like i came in i was like me too like so whatever <laughs> yeah, it's so weird we must have similar uh, uh facebook i mean it's probably just liking some basketball pages on on facebook because facebook yeah, but why those Facebook gives me a ton of crap anyway. Like, 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 I feel like most of my recommended stuff on Facebook, which is a majority of my feed, because that's the way Facebook works now for some reason. I, I, it seems like most of them are not like American based pages. They're like, they might be like sport pages, like covering the NBA or something, but they're not like, they're clearly like not for Americans. Sometimes they're in broken English. Usually they're like factually incorrect. I saw one the other day that was like Celtics rookie Drew Holiday in his new house. And I was like, well, Drew Holiday is not a rookie. He's been in the league for like 13 years. But like I could see like a, like like for whatever reason, whether it's a poor translation or whatever, but like a, a non-US page would be able to get away with that. Because I looked at all the comments and everyone's like, wow, so amazing. I love you, Drew. Thank you for coming to Boston. They're all like a bunch of uh, cage match reviews. Yeah, yeah. Like they're not like... Uh, uh, <laughs> like, a, well, like well, just to kind of do it, here to give you a test. Uh, it, it, perfect. So I, I go onto my feed. And so you get a lot of like overseas stuff like that. I get like weirdly not relevant at all like they, they a lot of them are america but it's like you won't believe what's happening in huntsville it's like the huntsville chamber of commerce like suggested for you and I'm like i don't live anywhere near huntsville alabama why are they why are I they like that. new christmas light display up in huntsville and i'm like good great for them like why are you sending me this i just so i just popped on a facebook just to see the first thing that popped up for me that i could make fun of and here it is suggested for you to join the Bosco Institute, which is a, a Bosco prep, you know, the Bosco prep uh, basketball team. I forget. They're, I think they're in New Jersey or something like that. This is a Facebook group of their alumni, and it's saying, we suggest you join this. I'm not an alumni. I don't live anywhere near there. And the post is, great to have Bosco alumni Chaz Harvey at practice yesterday. The 6'2 sophomore point guard is having a good season at D2 Powerhouse Pace University in New York. Chaz gave some real insight on the struggles and challenges of playing college basketball. Thanks. <laughs> great why am i getting that who, who how did that match up with high school it's a bunch of high schoolers and a, a college sophomore playing basketball in new jersey for the school that they why, why did you send me this it's insane it's so weird but that's like um go. that's the new it's literally just like you like some basketball pages like it's got like right they're like oh he'll giant... like you know, prep basketball from new york you know yeah and he should join this alumni group of because like imagine if i actually hit join on that group like these people are like why is this guy here i'm like hey how's it going guys and they're like why did you join yeah i don't know yeah it's 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 it's, <laughs> it's very she told me to join I'm like, all right i get i've been getting a lot of uh netball highlights do you get those at all? Oh, I got a couple of those. Yeah, I got a couple of those. Looks like a horrible game to watch, but yeah. So for people who don't know, netball is a uh a basketball like game that I believe is very popular in like Australia. And it, yes, it's, yeah, it's they're always Australian. Played... Every every video I get. Yeah, and it's only played by like women. It's kind of like um which I find strange because like they play like a lot of basketball like in australia like yeah right the, right like there's plenty of like australian wnba players and stuff like that yeah, the australian women's team does well in the olympics if i remember correctly yeah. almost every year so yeah so, i don't understand why they decide <laughs> to play this game but so they also have like a, i assume a very prominent netball team um which seems to 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 be very similar to basketball but i get those highlights a lot too and again there's there's real no corollary between why I'm getting those and anything I like on Facebook, but for whatever reason, if you want some 
some updates on the on the uh the professional women's uh netball league in australia i'm sure i could find some on my facebook feed which is quite a, a wild because every time I, I get taken aback by it because it's like you're watching the balls zipping around they're passing it all over the place you're like oh this is kind of fun and then the person gets near the basket and then everybody stops and then the person near the basket just like slowly puts it into the net you're like oh <laughs> that's not that exciting so yeah it's like the... it's, it's so weird because you're the, the ball's like zipping around it's kind of like a handball type of thing where you're like whoa 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 okay cool this looks pretty fun like because i think it's supposed to be you're not supposed to dribble you're just supposed to kind of throw it or whatever so it gets to the net, but then when it gets to the net, you're not allowed to like block the person that's trying to put it in the net, which takes a lot of the intrigue out because like you can't like defend them really. You're like, ah, oh, my hands are near you, and they're like, oh, I'm just gonna like put it in this net, and they're like, oh, okay, well, move yes. on. Then I guess it's so weird. It's, so it's uh, I don't think it's taken off in America anytime soon. Uh, no, <laughs> no, it's a pretty uh, pretty terrible looking game to be honest. Yeah. It's the kind of game they would do like you would like invent for women being like women can't play like a man's sport. So we're going to play like, we're going to have like this version. That's like a worse version of this. Right. Sport. Some asshole gym coach in the seventies. Like, all right, ladies, since I know y'all can't play basketball, like the men, here's this game where you don't have to touch each other and there's no physical contact since you're weak and all that stuff. Yeah. It's like, all right. Yeah. We all don't right, want cool physical thing. sport will ruin your like diaphragm. So you wouldn't be able to have children. <laughs> right, so. <laughs> Play this dumb game. Instead, I actually, so. uh, I was actually looking this up, and uh, apparently, like the origins of netball are come from like somebody like mis misreading like James Naismith's instructions for basketball. Like that seems exactly right because it does seem like a game that just missed like one step. Because you're like, all right, this is kind of looks like basketball, and then they get to the net, it's like, oh, because <laughs> it was invented like only a few years like after basketball. But oh, like okay. someone, well, there was like the, you know, game. like there was like a couple copies of the rules going around, and they got one. Like it was like a game of telephone, and by the time they got that, <laughs> right, they like right. missed some of the rules. Cannot defend a person <laughs> shooting. It's like all right, well, whatever. Um. Anyway, uh, we we were not here to talk about the Facebook algorithm. No, no, no. Uh, we we're here to talk about something else, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, a different topic to start the show. Um, because I I found this out that Rich, you have seen the Iron Claw, the Von Erich uh, biopic that uh came out for most people this week um and mm -hmm. i have also seen the iron claw um so i figured I'd, i would provide my thoughts for it at the start of the show and i know rich did, did your post published yet oh uh, it is not but it, that, that's okay that's fine yeah so so rich has a, uh, but i'll have a review up uh, flagship patreon.com pretty pretty soon a written post uh review of it uh pretty soon but yeah it, it is not as of this recording is not but it, it probably by the time most of you guys listen to this it probably will be up mm -hmm. what did you think about it in general so i thought it was good but not great and and it, and it had some of the issues that i i kind of assumed it was going to have with me as a, as a watcher of some of the you know historical timeline is going to be a little off some of the things that they say is going to be a little off or whatever and that's fine i kind of understood that, that was going to be the case and i went with my wife and and you know i assumed i didn't try to clue her in and i didn't try to say like oh yeah that's not right or like when the movie was on i wasn't like that's bullshit no carrie got the first title shot and said okay yeah, i didn't do any of that sort of stuff but i just kind of let her enjoy it and then at the end if she wanted to ask me questions like, hey was that timeline right i would i would kind of bring it up so that i try to not let that stuff bother me because that stuff does kind of bother me with a lot of things like uh uh winning time the hbo documentary about the uh the lakers uh docu-series i not and that maybe just dr dramatized series not even really a documentary 
I had similar issues with that because I was like, I would watch it and I couldn't enjoy it because I'm like, oh, that's not, no, that's not exactly what happened or whatever. And it's like, just, it's set up, dude. Just let it, let it happen. Just enjoy the show for what it is. So with this, I kind of decided to do that. I was just going to sit down, just going to enjoy it and not really worry about the historical significance. And, and when it was done, I thought it was good, but not great. I think one of the issues that I had is I think that they did a really poor job of telling you really just how important the Von Erichs were to Texas. Like they, they, I think they did a really bad job of, of, sort of explaining what that family meant to that region and what world-class meant to that region. Cause it's just like the movie starts, you're in world-class. Hey, he's got kids, you know, Vritz has kids, they wrestle. And then that's, you kind of go. And it's like, well, they didn't do, I didn't enough world building on terms in terms of what that promotion meant, what that family meant. And then how important these kids were to world-class. They just kind of like, I, I don't know. They, I think they they missed a step there, and 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 really lacked an ability to make you care or understand that these guys were gods. Like these were literal gods in Texas, and that everything they did was under a microscope, and and they had to be perfect in public, and they couldn't be seen drinking, and they couldn't be seen doing this, and couldn't be seen doing that. Like I think they 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 missed that boat a little bit, which made it tougher to care about the people, and especially care about the tragedies as they were happening. You know, one by one by one by one, but. Ultimately, I think they told a pretty good story. I just think that was one of the things that was mostly missing for me is is explain a little bit more of why these guys are what they were in Texas. I don't think they did that enough. Yeah, it's interesting because that's like one of the most famous things about the Von Erich, which is like that these guys were like mega, mega over. And that's not really represented in the, the film. Like no. they talk about like they're successful wrestlers, but um, they're never like, represented as i think like gods to the people um which is really interesting yeah like kevin just goes to that restaurant with the with, with the you know the girl that he's he's then dating and would, would eventually marry and it's like he's just at the restaurant and then like one person comes up and they're like hey kevin and that's it and i'm like no dude he would be swarmed <laughs> like you know what i mean like it that they didn't do that and it, it tells such a better story if you tell the idea that these people were just literally swarmed and 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 followed around and it was like the most important thing on earth was that these people were here and 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 they were just they were it they were gods in the city and they didn't i don't know if they quite because that was where a lot of the pressure came from that's where a lot of the 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 nervousness and the depression and that sort of stuff came that they had to be these larger than life gods everywhere they went every single day all the time with their overbearing dad you know you know looking over them the entire time and i don't think they did that they just were like successful wrestlers in their hometown and that's like no that's not really you're not telling the full vineyard story if you're just having them be Guys that, like you said, were, were were good wrestlers in the town. No, they were gods. They were just everything to that town. And and I think that tells such a better part of the story that makes it so much more of a tragedy when they eventually do die. Yeah, for, for me, I guess, like, the historical stuff really doesn't bother me at all. Um, I think, like, as a standalone film, like, without really, like, weighing in on, like, his, whether historical accuracy or, like, what I thought was, like, a proper representation, I thought it was really strong um it is it is sadder than i thought it was going to be which is uh saying something because i thought it was going to be pretty sad um there is i don't want to spoil this entirely there is a scene towards the very end of the movie that is like that you don't expect to see and it is extremely sad um and i also say i also want to say this if you are going to this movie, please make sure that you are like in your seats at the very beginning of the movie. Cause like the best scene in the movie is the like almost like literally the first shot of the movie. Did you see that, Rich? 
Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was there bright and early. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I made sure I didn't miss a second of it. Like the very first shot, which is a, a black and white shot of Fritz, like in the ring. When I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, this movie's going to be amazing. Because it's so good. Um, I, I read a re- Did you read the uh, there was like a review in The Observer that Dave got from somebody um, that's like a really grumpy review um i did not read that no no i haven't gotten to the observer yet yeah. this week it's like it's 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 the guy likes it but he's got like all these like you know what i would consider like these people that are like real historians of the dallas territory are, are probably not gonna like this i know i think like uh paul wedding um who is a he's a huge dallas guy uh he's in our discord um he say i remember he saw it like a month ago because he was like in the area and he i think i don't know if he was at like the original screening or something but uh, he saw it like a month ago when he said like he was kind of bothered by I think a lot of the details being wrong, um, but I, I I still think it's a really good movie. I think that it is ultimately a movie about a family and a movie about brothers. It, it made me sad. I don't have a brother when I watched it. Uh, the um, and I think that they do a really good job representing like just like the importance of family uh and kind of the different dynamics and if you ever have lived with a complicated family or complicated parents and siblings and things like that it's very relatable even if the tragedies uh aren't and i think it this isn't really i don't think the public is gonna get this out of the movie but wrestling fans certainly will which is the movie is ultimately about these this family and these brothers but it is also about the corruption of the pro wrestling industry and what a messed up industry it is, especially in the time period that the Von Eric brothers are getting into it. And you would think that if Fritz did anything else with his life, whether they were all football players or he owned a car dealership and they all worked there, all of these guys would have ended up fine, but they weren't, they were in the pro wrestling industry and that ended up spitting out and, you know, a bunch of them and, and sadly leading like really leading to so much tragedy because you can point to each of these brothers' deaths, including one that wasn't even shown in the film. Um, and you can say like pro wrestling was in some ways responsible for it, uh, which is uh, again, just like a testament to like what a, what a crappy industry this is and what a, what a crazy, insane, illogical place this is and the kind of people that it attracts. For sure. For sure. No, the point that you brought up about it being a movie about brothers more than anything is is, is perfect. Yeah. And that's exactly how sort of my wife who, who who came in with no context, didn't really care about the Von Erics, didn't do any of that sort of stuff. Uh, by the end, she was very emotional. The scene that you're talking about, like I, I was kind of surprised uh, that, that that she did that. And she has a brother, so maybe that's probably one of the pro- reasons that that you know I'm an only child. So to me, I was just like, ah, whatever. It's a Von Erich movie. You know, I'm just here for the wrestling stuff or whatever. It didn't hit me on the same level, but no, it, it, it's definitely. Um, I think if you go in thinking it's a biopic about you know world class championship wrestling and the Von Erichs, it's not really what it is. It's about the Von Erich family, and they tried to. They tried to make it so that even if you didn't care about the wrestling or, or the wrestling wasn't that important to you, that you still got the idea that it was about the dynamics of all these brothers, the dynamics of their overbearing father, the dynamics of a mother who maybe didn't want to address what was going on in the family and just kind of ignored it, ignored it, ignored it until she couldn't ignore it any longer. Like, it's kind of more of that, which I think is, is I understand why they did that. That's more relatable than like, here's, you know, 
a lot of those people that are grumpy about it, like they weren't going to turn around and be like, hi, I'm Bill Mercer. Like, this is Bill Mercer. He hosted the world class show. And it's like, all right, we don't need like, we don't need that level of like detail on like the history of world class. You know what I mean? Like it, well, it, wrestling it, fans it, need that explained to them. They're not going to be able to get it. Rich, right, if you don't like explain don't, it to them. Right. Like it's like it, either you like, yeah, you either get it or you don't, but if you don't, it's fine. Like, it's okay. Like somebody watching, if, if your mother goes and watches this, this movie, she's not going to need like, the, the detailed background of world-class championship wrestling. Like, oh, you know, fire off your peacock and watch the not that good, sort of good uh, triumph and tragedy of the world-class uh, if you want to watch that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, no, I I think ultimately good but not great. I think they missed some things in it. Like, one of the things that I, that really bothered me, and I put this in my review as well, What what's the what is one of the things that I guess I'll, I'll give you this hypothetical and then I'm just going to answer for you right away just so we don't waste too much time on it. But like one of the first things I think of when I think of world-class championship wrestling, I think one of the first things a lot of people think of of world-class are the Von Eriks walking through a sea of people, like a sea of people and not being able to get to the fucking ring because there's so many people grabbing them and touching them and kissing them and all this sort of stuff. And they didn't do that. They had them through this little tunnel <laughs> in the quote-unquote sportatorium and like occasionally there was one scene where i think kevin was walking through and a few people like grabbed his jacket or whatever i thought we were going to get the thing where they where they come out and people rush to them and these fuckers can't get to the ring because it takes them so long to get through just the throng of people throwing themselves uh, at them i was like you got to put that in this movie how do you have a von eric movie and they're not running through a crowd of people to get to the ring you know what i mean like that that bothered me more than it should have probably you needed a scene where Carrie Von Eric was like swimming through an army of young women to get to the ring. Right. Right. Exactly. Cause that, again, that tells the story of why it was such a tragedy and such a big deal when these people all, you know, one by one by one passed away and, and, and died and couldn't, you know, deal with the pressures or couldn't deal with the, the stress or whatever of, of, of living this existence as being Von Eric. That's one of the things you got to show is that, yeah, the throngs of people throwing themselves at it and, and, and Carrie not being able to get to the goddamn ring because so many, you know, eight to 14 year old women are just running up to him, hugging him and kissing him like that. That you got to show that. Right. You got to show that if it's if you're doing a Von Eric movie, that's kind of bothered. They didn't do that. So that 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 would be my one criticism. They just they didn't do enough to tell you how big of a deal these people were in Texas. Yeah, I, I I think that the way they did like the wrestling scenes was really good. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that was shot great. You, what did you think of of their Harley race and their Ric Flair respectively? Uh, the it, Harley race was fine. The Harley, so it was funny because Harley race showed up and my wife turns to me and she goes, "That guy just looks like he's fat." And I went, "Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah." I kinda, thought was was, like, was Harley that fat by the by like the early eighties, which is when uh, I think they place. yeah they kind of grabbed like the king of Harley race of like the WWF era. <laughs> Harley race more so than that. He, I mean, he wasn't like an inch. He was a portly fellow at that time. Maybe not quite as, as big as they showed him, but like, it's just kind of funny how like my wife, AK Vince McMahon is just like, well, he's fat. He can't be a tough guy. He can't be a pro wrestler. Like, you know, her idea of a platonic pro wrestler is like a guy with abs and muscles and that sort of stuff. So, so when you have this like fat guy, she's like, that guy's just fat. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's what they looked like for a very long amount of time. That's yeah. And he's like, also like, like presented as like the greatest wrestler in the entire world. Right. Right. So she's like, yeah, he just, she's like, that guy looked weird. He didn't look like a wrestler at all. And I'm like, well, that's exactly how okay. it's actually kind of exactly how Harley race looked. Uh, the Ric Flair was absolutely atrocious. And that's the thing that every single person has brought up. Uh, one of the worst casting things in the entire movie is the Ric Flair who can't even do the woo. Right. Can't even do the woo, right? You couldn't find a human on earth that can act like Ric Flair and do a woo. I mean, come on. What are we what are we doing here? I think uh 
Um, so my hot take, I guess my hot take is going to be the guy who played Ric Flair, uh, does not look or sound like Ric Flair at all, but I actually think he does a really good job conveying Ric Flair energy. The promo is good. Like the actual like energy of the promo is good, but yeah, he can't say woo. Right. And that I can't get past that. I can't, I just can't. It's woo. (laughs) Everybody could do woo. (laughs) He, um, they, well, with with both Harley Race and McFlair, they do a great job. Basically, they what they do is they basically just air two famous promos from them respectively, like to set up like their introductions as characters, and then like the idea that these guys are like big wrestling stars. And I think they do like an amazing job setting up that like, oh, these guys are the best, especially the Ric Flair promo, which I think is like, granted, they're just like aping like a classic Ric Flair promo, but I still think it comes across great, especially if you don't know who like Ric Flair is or anything about him, which is like, oh, this guy's like the greatest wrestler in the history of the world. Um, but the guess, I, I also think like like Ric Flair is like an extremely difficult person to present on film because he's he's Ric Flair. If there were a bunch of people that could do credible Ric Flair impersonations, uh, there'd be uh more of them in the industry and there's not for I, I do kind of agree with that too because that that you know uh, me and my wife were talking about the rick flair character afterwards she was like yeah that was kind of a bad rick flair that was pretty bad but then I, as i was as we were driving i was like yeah but it's probably hard to get a rick flair like maybe the best option would have been just like put a ton of makeup on this rick flair like the actual living rick flair and try your best to make him uh these days might be pretty tough you could have probably maybe pulled it off about five years ago this this current iteration of rick flair yeah uh it might be tough to to make because uh, the voice is starting to go and stuff, and he's got that weird lisp or whatever. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That, it, it ultimately kind of came to my, you know, it, I was like initially making fun of it, and then realizing, you know what, it's probably very difficult to find anybody on this planet that could be Ric Flair because there is only going to be one Ric Flair. When Ric Flair passes away, nobody else will ever be Ric Flair ever again because it's just yeah, you can find another Harley Race. You know what I mean? Like that that you know, that's not that Ric Flair is one of one. You're just never going to be another one. So, so I do agree with you with that. that. That was probably very difficult casting, but you got to get the woo right. I'm sorry. You got to get woo right. <laughs> I just can't get past the woo. And the hair was ridiculous too. Have some guy grow what? his hair a little bit. Yeah. But, I'm trying to remember. Did he say like woo? Like, like how yeah, did he go? Yeah. And I was like, no, it's not woo. <laughs> like, like he has an H in there. It's no, yeah. there's no H. No H. MJF was the executive producer. Why didn't he get that right? Right, exactly. Maxwell Jacob Freeman in his four seconds of uh, screen time as well. As, as I didn't Chris even Meyer. notice him. Yeah, I thought it, and it was, it's it's kind of obvious they cut, they kind of speed through like the last like seven years of world class. So I understand like, yeah, I could yeah. see how his spot got cut because, um, yeah, well, like I, I see why you want to bring him in for the movie because you're like, oh yeah, there was even a fake Von Eric. But then when you're writing the script, you're probably like, ah, we don't really need to. Well, when you're like, editing like, the film, minutes and it's on like, this fake Von Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like well, what are we doing here? Yeah, like and you're like editing the film, and it's like, all right, this is already two hours and eleven minutes, and it's like they, I mean, I mean, they Chris Von Eric is non-existent, uh, sadly. Um, despite you know his story probably being pretty easy to tell in terms of like being the runt of the litter, and uh, right, 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 you know. Being again, like being forced to go into pro wrestling. Um, the um, the last thing I'll say about it is a lot of times with like wrestlers and like wrestling representation on film and stuff like that is they uh, um, the wrestlers are not the actors struggle to be like as jacked as like the wrestlers were, um, and that I don't think that's really a problem in this movie because Zac Efron is like distractingly huge in this movie. Yeah, why is he so big? That, I, I remember when when they the images first came out of Zac Efron, 
and his new HGH slash anabolic steroid body, he, which undeniably they had to have <laughs> it's found, not a normal body. They had to have found it's not only is it a normal, it's actually very impressive, Rich, because not only is it not a normal body, but it is like the exact same kind of like ripped but also kind of fucked up body that like people had in the 80s that were using steroids right yeah they found like a vial of 1980s anabolic like dr george zahorian style steroids and it's incredible because yeah because like they have steroids now and that, that was the thing i couldn't believe i was like man what what steroids did he find to take because they, they have like good i mean hell look at the current world wrestling entertainment roster they have very good steroids now that won't make you look puffy and 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 make you look pretty damn good and still pretty big or whatever they found him like classic like 1985 86 87 you know dino bravo like uh, hercules type steroids that just look you look massive but it was always so weird because I'm like, you're Kevin. You don't have to be that yeah, massive. The, like, the, uh, just the grumpy, get lead. just get the, lean. The, gr- like, the grumpy review in uh in, in the Observer uh was like re- very upset that Kevin was bigger than Carrie in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I can survive. It's fine. <laughs> like that doesn't. It, it didn't bother me. I just found it hilarious. You know what I mean? I just found it very, very hilarious that that that. Uh, that he was so big and it's like he probably showed up and it was like i'm ready and they're like you're kevin and he was like ah well shit <laughs> i got this big so we're just gonna have to do this this is kevin because like he probably he definitely thought he was he like looked up he like googled kevin von eric but probably like autocorrected to carry and he's like well, that's what i gotta look like so he thought he had to look like that and then came back and they're like no nah, you're kevin man and he's like oh well shit too bad i'll be giant anyway so yeah he 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 says like especially because i like i like i i've seen high school musical and stuff before so I like I know what he like normally looked like or looked like when he was like in his early twenties. He looks, he he's like it's it's almost distracting how big he is. He's also like is never wears a shirt in this movie. No, and, we, and why would you? I mean, honestly, with all that work, I, I wouldn't either. Yeah, it, it. So he appeared on screen for the first time, and a bunch of like there was a bunch of like teenage girls watching this movie uh at the theater with me and i'm sure they were like "Ooh, zach efron and they went like oh they were they were they were repulsed by him because <laughs> yeah, people and his like cheeks are like because he's like swollen and ah, uh, it's just because i think they were like "Ooh, it's zach efron he got himself in shape and then he comes out and he's just a grotesque man it's like, like a oh. frankenstein monster <laughs> right <laughs> it was so good the reaction they were like oh <laughs> so yeah i don't know but uh hey, good for him i guess yeah well, I think he did a great job in the movie. Like, no, he did. He did. He, 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 he is fantastic. Yeah, and he and and then the movie hinges a lot on both him and a, uh, I think like Holt McCaskill's uh, acting ability, um, which is very good. I think. I think. No, I mean, see, I my love... hot take. I thought he sucked. I, I thought. Oh, he sucked fuck you, movie, Rich. But... Fuck you. I love, <laughs> this is this is a podcast where we respect, um, Mr. Holt. And yeah, I kind of thought his character's Fritz sucked. We, he was like, we, "You're gonna be the National Wrestling Alliance champion." He would look like the way he explained everything. I just thought kind of sucked. So, oh, I, I think they should. I was thinking like, I think like AEW should bring him in and just have him do like a Fritz impression and be like an on-screen uh, character. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of thought it stunk, but oh, I guess I'll. This is a terrible. Thing. This is a this is a podcast that respects Agent Bill Trench. Okay, I'll say that right now. <laughs> um. Anyway. We're not here to discuss the Iron Claw. That was a surprise uh, movie review that you guys are getting. The um, the real reason here is I wanted to kind of go over, I think, like the state of American wrestling uh, heading into 2023. Um, kind of really kind of evaluating maybe like what we learned in 2022 and what kind of impact that's going to have in 2023. So 
Um, I'll leave it up to you, Rich. Do, would you like to discuss World Wrestling Entertainments or All Elite Wrestling first? Mm, 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 mm. I'm gonna have to flip a coin here. So let's. Uh, oh. Yeah, you know what? Actually, you know what? Let's let's do uh, let's do AEW first. Let's do AEW first. Flip the coin. Um, Everybody talks WWE first. Fuck it. Now let's do AEW first. Yeah. Well, did you know that uh, Kerry Von Erich won the uh, NWA World Heavyweight Championship on a flipped coin? That's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the story was. Yeah. <laughs> the um all right so so all elite wrestling um i'll start with this the the kind of theme i'm going for is like what what is something that we learned and what is something that's going to happen in 2024 needs to happen in 2024 um to kind of define the year for for AEW. and so i think what we uh, go ahead sorry no yeah so i was i was just gonna say i think no i'll let you go ahead because mine might work better as a response so what I what I was gonna say, I think something that we learned this year is that the best way to put it is that the honeymoon is over in terms of just the the idea that hey, this startup company is here and they're challenging and they're doing this. They're, like that honeymoon that was a, there for a while, both with the roster and with fans, it felt like for a while it was just like everyone's just kind of happy that this thing exists, that there's actually a competitor in the marketplace. That there's another place to work, there's another place to get money, there's another place to get a contract, there's another place to use as a leverage or whatever. That was all there for a while. And it probably lasted longer than it should have. And I do think that the pandemic in 2020 was probably a, a way that sort of extended that a little bit because I remember I would do Q&As and people would say, like, who's the first guy that's going to leave AEW and bash them or whatever? Who's the first guy that's going to be upset with AEW? And, like, I always went with, like, Joey Janela or, like, Brian Cage or one of those sort of guys or whatever. But, like, people would ask those questions all throughout because it, sem- it seemed like it was just the perfect little family and everybody was there and everybody was all in and everybody was all, you know, on board and everybody was cool with it. And, like, from a fan standpoint, it kind of felt that same way, too, even though you had, obviously, your people criticizing them and doing that sort of stuff. But, like, you're, you're dyed in the wool, like, people that were actually watching AEW and not just, you know, grifters or whatever online were all in. Like, they were – everyone was, was on board. Everybody was enjoying most things. And, yeah, there was criticism and there was arguments for or, or whatnot. But everybody was still kind of collectively, I thought, you know, wanted, you know, this to work and wanted this to be, you know, a, a, a viable thing. So you had that throughout all of 2020 and, and, and most of 2021. And then, yeah, things got fired up even to a bigger degree uh, in 2021. And then it was like, oh, man, these guys are cruising. And even in 2022, even losing, you know, uh, uh, Cody, it felt like they kind of rallied behind that a little bit. And obviously at the end of 2022 you get the the brawl out you get that sort of stuff which is the first one of the first big like okay what, what you know now this thing's starting to kind of and i thought 2023 really signified not necessarily a bad thing but that that it's not going to be easy for them it felt like things were kind of easy for aw for a while there in terms of people that wanted to come there and work and people that wanted to do this and and the fans and that sort of stuff this is the first time where it was a challenge for them it was like okay we got to present something that people want to go see. People are not just going to buy tickets to our shows now because we're in town. For a while, they did. For a while, it was like, oh, shit, AEW's coming to town. We got to buy tickets. We got to go to the show. We got to be there. That happened for a while. That's not happening anymore. They got to work a little bit harder now. They got to put ticket deals out there. They have to make sure they're promoting stuff a little bit more before they come to a town. In terms of wrestlers, they have to present a better, you know, because now WWE's a viable alternative again for a lot of these people to go uh, and get a job there. So now they got to do a little bit better about pushing people and do a little bit better about, you know, keeping people happy. And I think it was just kind of, to me, the first year where it was like, okay, now this is a big boy company in a lot of ways. And, and that that's good and that's bad. Uh, in, in some ways, but it's like you now that, not, that Bloom is off the rose in that sort of sense. Not necessarily that like, oh, this company's 
Fox and Sox and it's failing and all that sort of stuff. But just that, like, the easy, you know, roll the ball out and let the guys play. Like, you could do that for a while and get by, but now it's going to be a little more difficult. Now they're a big boy company, a real company, and and, and there's going to be struggles. There's going to be good. There's going to be bad. And yeah, it's you got to work a little bit harder to get fans to watch. You got to work a little bit harder to get fans to go to the shows, and you got to work a little bit harder to get the keep the wrestlers happy and and, and you know and and do all that sort of stuff. So now they've become a full fledged like true wrestling company in that that you know you're going to deal with some shit. <laughs> you're going to deal with some shit, and you're going to struggle, and and there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. So again, um, I think it was just kind of yeah, the honeymoon was sort of over more than anything this year. Uh, in AEW, and I think that could be a positive, and it could be a negative. We're going to see here in 2024. Yeah, I think what happens when you're around for like four years now is you stop being compared to what came before you or other wrestling companies that were around, and you start being compared to yourself. Um, like in a vacuum, like if you were to take whatever AEW's business metrics you want to use, um right now and you were to like go back in time to like 2019 2018 and be like this new this wrestling company is going to start it's going to be an alternative to wwe and it's going to you know draw you know four thousand fans for tv tapings and and the potential of more than ten thousand fans for pay-per-view or for for pay-per-view events they're going to run wembley stadium they're going to uh you know be a top five cable show uh plus have two other shows on cable at the same throughout the week they're going to whatever your business metrics you want to have are, if you were to say that, it would like blow people's minds compared to where non-WW wrestling was in this country in like 2018. Um, but that's not what AW is being compared to anymore. They're being compared to where they were last year or the year before that. Um, and that goes for the, the quality of the product as well. You can't just be like, oh, we're better than the absolutely terrible WWE product. So we're going to to, to look good by comparison. You're being compared to... Right your your previous product um right we're not vince man like that that really for a long time 2019 through 2021 pretty much you could just say we're not vince man we're not over to be and that was enough and that was enough for me to go okay i get it yeah, i understand yeah cool all right that was enough and and that problem kind of you know they weren't able to do that anymore they had to work a little bit harder yeah and i think um you know the racial in, in you know the I guess the general wrestling fan consensus that enjoy that likes that thinks WWE is good now um, is a major difference in terms of how people view AEW because they don't necessarily see a lot of these people don't necessarily need AEW anymore. They don't just maybe don't want AEW anymore because they view WWE more favorably now that Vince is gone. Um, and, and that plays a role as well. I think for me, when I think about like big picture stuff for AEW, what we learned in 2023 and moving into 2024 is 2023 is to me in AEW, like it's the year MJF became like the most pushed person in the entire company and became the face of the promotion. Um, and whether or not you enjoy his performances or not um, are kind of irrelevant to to what I'm saying, I think, in terms of like, this is the year they they took somebody, a younger wrestler on their roster, and they just pushed them super, super, super hard ahead of literally everyone else in the company. Um, and again, whether no matter what you feel about 
his performance, I think ultimately that's a positive step in terms of we're going to create someone with that's never wrestled in WWE, that's never really wrestled anywhere else of, of major prominence before we got him. We built him into a star and he is now our number one guy. Um, could he be performing better at the box office? Absolutely. But I do think it's a positive step for AEW and the wrestling business in general that that kind of star is being attempted to be created like really thoroughly. Um, and my question for 2024 would be, who else are you going to be able to do that with? Um, because I think you have some interesting people on your roster that are gaining some momentum. And can AEW have the focus like they showed with MJF? and push them super, super hard uh, ahead of maybe the more established name talent you have uh, on your roster. And that to me is like a critical component for AEW. It's a critical component for growth for the company to to, to hit on a new star or, or multiple new stars. Um, and it's not relying on other wrestling companies, chiefly WWE, to create your stars. Um, and I'm, I'm worried about it because I think one thing that I think WWE does significantly better than AEW from the creative perspective is that when WWE picks their top guys, they totally, um, I don't want to say like overexpose them, even though they probably do, but they just push them super hard. It was very obvious like when they got Cody, like how prominently they featured Cody and how they right. made him feel like the singular giant star. And I think AEW sometimes struggles to do that. I don't think that, I think they do it with MJF. And they did it like when they had CM Punk, but they don't really do it with that many other people, even some of their their bigger names. And I think AEW has a problem with guys getting momentum and then kind of not having a consistent creative direction. And that hurts them. And I think that comes down to Tony Khan and the creative team not having stuff for them or not having a coherent plan for them to do. Like Cody, Cody feuding with Judgment Day for like, 2000 straight weeks is not um very creative um but it did keep cody in a prominent spot week after week and he knew what he was doing um i think you can do a better version of that by being like slightly more creative in what they're doing so you're not just doing rematch 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 but i think like i think hangman pages 2023 is a perfect example of somebody who uh has had inconsistent creative given to him and the result is like he has two absolutely amazing matches and feuds in 2023 when he was like actually given stuff to do. But that's it. He he's missing for for time. He's he he's doesn't have direction. Um, and he's like supposed to be one of your top stars. And to me, that's kind of unacceptable. And that needs to be cleaned up for 2024 and moving forward, because that's how you're ultimately going to be able to get people over and make your guys feel like stars. And I think there's wrestlers right now, like Swerve, who have some serious momentum and could maybe absolutely bring something different to the table uh, if they were to be put in the main event. But they need consistent booking in 2024 and to be able to hit that. And I want the company to be able to do that. Um, but I have serious questions about that going forward. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what my note is for 2024 uh, for, for AEW was, you know, first off, you know, secure that TV deal. That's going to be the biggest one. I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, later in terms of uh, WWE and, and, and their moving parts uh, of their TV deal. But I think more than that, you know, uh, 
notwithstanding them not you know not getting a tv deal at all or, or any sort of stuff like that who, who the hell knows uh with that that's still kind of moving and shaking and, and that'll be obviously the the biggest story i think of 2024 uh for both AEW and wv is where you know where raw ends up and where where AEW uh their catalog of shows ends up but the biggest thing for me was yeah now is now is the time to start pushing new stars and pushing your stars as i put and i i, I bolded your because there was a long time where, yeah, obviously you had Kenny and the Bucks and Cody and those sort of guys. And that was like, you know, quote unquote, your guys. I mean, the Bucks and, and Omega were, were clearly their guys. And and Cody, you know, whatever you want to say about Cody, but he became a star, you know, on the Indies. He became a star in AEW. He became a star away from, from WWE. Yes, he was there and he was a part of WWE and people could kind of make that connection. But he became what he became in, you know, elsewhere, not in WWE. But then little by little... And I, I, it's totally defensible why you would make all these moves. Of course, as you're growing, as you're growing, and as these people become available, yeah, you're going to bring in a Brian Danielson. Of course, you're going to bring in a Brian Danielson. CM Punk, you're going to be able to bring CM Punk back for after seven years of him not being away, not being in wrestling. Of course, you're going to bring CM Punk in. So you know, you bring in those two guys that were undoubtedly stars in WWE. They were WW, like you said, they were stars from another company that you brought in to try to take yourselves to the next level and. Completely defensible at the time, completely okay at, at the time. What we saw in 2023 was that that move might not, you know, I, I guess you can add Christian to that that mix as well if, if you really want to. But what we saw in 2023 is that 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 well is probably dry where you're bringing in Soraya Page. She's not what, you know, she's not what, what she's not a star anymore. And that's fine. And she probably wasn't as big of a star as maybe you thought she was in her WWE time. But you got to kick tires on it. You, you wanted to do it and try it. Okay, fine. You did that. Adam Copeland, same thing. He's probably not as big of a star as 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 WWE presents him as, and and that's kind of being reflected as well. Like I I've been fine with most of what he's done, but yeah, in terms of a, of an actual business mover, no, he's he's not moving any sort of business that at any tangible degree. He's being paid like a man that's I'm sure I don't know his contract, but I'm positive he's being paid like a man who should be moving tons of business and and, and that sort of stuff. So you tried it, and 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 those are not working. 2024 now, you have enough guys, enough guys in your stable, enough guys on your roster that are ready to make that loop to make that next jump that now it's time to kind of push those guys and create your own new stars. And like you said, MJF in 2023 was one of those for better or for worse, whether you like what he's doing or not, that's a guy that's an organic homegrown AEW guy swerve. Yeah. He's been in WWE. Yeah. He was on the Indies and stuff that once he becomes a star, which he's already kind of, you know, he's, he's right on the cusp of that. That's going to be one of your guys. And that's cool. Hangman page. Another one. Yeah. He, you told his story. Uh, a couple of years ago where he, he got to the mountaintop. I think you, you've you only scratched the surface of what you can do with Hangman Page. There is so much more that you can do with him, and he's still super, super over and and, and such a huge deal uh, in that company, even with bad creative and even with, like, you know, really lackadaisical creative, like you said, where it's just like, ah, we got nothing for him, so we'll just take him away for two months. And it's like, what? no, you should always have something for Hangman Page. What are we doing here? Yeah, um, it, it's, it's not as much, like, bad creative as it is, like, you honestly don't know what is going – you have no confidence – like what is that there's something that's going to be next for these guys like i don't know what hangman page is going to be doing next month like he might just like have one match next month and nothing yeah. else like i'll come out and it'll be a mess of pop and then the match is good and then he'll go away and you're like oh what the fuck yeah Where and that's a problem yeah and that's a problem like we see guys disappear from tv we just see guys kind of float around without direction and that's a problem when you're having trying to establish guys as as top guys, and that's something that WWE does very well in terms of just making sure these are our top stars, and 
they're going to be on the show unless it's a case like Roman where you kind of know he's not going to be on the show. Um, but for the most part, like, again, like the way they use Cody, I think is kind of eye-opening in terms of like, we're going to hammer everyone over the head with this guy being a big star. We're going to have a clock counting down to when his matches are. We're going to make sure that he's working our house shows. He's going to be in the main event. Like he's always going to have stuff. And AEW does do that with some people, but it's like three people on the roster. It's not right, um, right. like some of the people that really need that consistent focus, which are like your stars on the rise. Um, those are the guys that are going to need that kind of attention. And that hasn't always been there. And if you're going to make new stars, you need to have it. And the fans need to have it. The fans need to have an, an idea of what they're going to be seeing. You don't have to like announce your every match for the next month. But I think if you deliver a consistency in terms of people appearing, um, and I don't think it has to be on dynamite every, you know, it can be some of the, sometimes it can be on dynamite. Sometimes it can be on collision. Even if it's on rampage, that's fine, but just give these guys something to do. Um, and right. I think ha- hangman's a perfect example because he's someone that's really over. He's someone whose performance is outstanding. Um, but for whatever reason, he's not in that same echelon that like, um, Chris Jericho and John Moxley are in, which are like, they're always doing something. And I think that's. Yeah wrong because hagman's a guy that can he's your star that you've already dedicated a ton of time and resources to and he's over and good absolutely yeah and 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 2024 you know more than anything too i think we're 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 finally entering a post box post omega AEW. like uh, omega is obviously continuing to have you know now he's got diverticulitis and and he's going to be out for for quite a while and you know, he's a guy that is, is great to have on the roster, but I think now is maybe a good time to not focus on him as like a tippy top star. And I think the box as well, where I think it's you're you're entering a point now where, you know, it, I don't want to say that they're slowing down, but I just don't they, they don't have that same impact that they had anymore. Watching a young box match doesn't feel the same way it felt a couple of years ago. It's like, oh, yeah, these guys and, you know, you're going to get a good match, you know, but it doesn't feel like it did. And they, and they don't feel like the tippy top star company anymore and that's okay that's fine like you you should move on you should have new stars you have a loss break coming very soon that guy should be a top star in 2024 swerve strickland we talked about him earlier needs to be this if this year 2024 if nothing else needs to be a year where that guy becomes one of your tippy top stars whether he's a world champion or he's in the main event stuff that guy has to be in that mix or cassidy i i you know they i think they blew with him in 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 2023 i don't know if they can get him to that level again of where he was but he's a guy that again i would do whatever i can to get him up to that top level and get him in big important things throughout the year so you got you know those guys um you know so i'm going through kind of the list that that i have here of of other dudes uh i think you know i think kyle fletcher probably has to be a guy that's that's doing something you know those callous guys like a fletcher and a Takeshita. i think those guys need to be doing you know big stuff this year because i'm just trying to figure out you got to get that next wave of guys those neck that next wave of stars and they're there and they're ready and they're bubbling at the top but they just need to get that next little push jack perry depending on what you think of him like i think he you know depending on what his you know what what, what we're doing here if he's the devil or any of that sort of stuff like he's the guy that i think is important in 2024. I think Jay White as well is an important guy in 2024. Again, un, unpushed on on major American television. Those are the kind of guys that they need to focus on a lot uh, here in 2024 because I think that the, the old guard is kind of either slowing down or they're not there anymore, and it's time to kind of get that next wave up, and 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 it's a perfect opportunity to do it here. And, and that's going to be the lifeblood of really growth in that company, and it's been the lifeblood of growth in, in every wrestling company ever is, is new, young, underexposed talent 
you know, hitting big and becoming stars. And AEW has it in numbers. It's just do they have the ability or the want or the desire or or creative focus to get all those people over at the same time. And I, you know, there was a time where I would say, yeah, and I don't know that I'm as confident in 2024 as I would be, say, in 2022, if you asked me the exact same question about, you know, a number of guys and would they get over, uh, would they be top stars at the end of the year? I'd probably say, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. After 2023, I don't know. We, we saw a little bit of, you know, unfocused booking throughout the year is probably the best way to put it. It, it. it just felt like a lot of people getting pushed in a lot of different directions and not all of it kind of building up towards the same thing or at least building up towards, you know, creating new stars and and getting the company, you know, over a, 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 as much as possible. It felt like there was a little bit of lost focus in 2023 for AEW. Yeah, and like one of the interesting things about the company is unlike another company that we're going to discuss very soon, there's no shortage of these guys on the roster that you could elevate and push into these positions, which makes it kind of frustrating at the same time. That's not like some of these guys are like just ready to go. You just need to give them something a little bit consistent. Right. Um, and, and like you said, what's to be like, they have guys that aren't even dudes that they're making. They made LA Knight a thing. LA Eli Drake became a thing. And it was like kind of through like, just like, hey, let's have him come out and cut like the same promo every week. Right. <laughs> and it, he became a thing. And it's like the AW is an embarrassment of riches of guys that they could over and have as as tippy top stars that like you said we're focused on we're, we're, we're important parts of the show and WWE has nobody they really don't if you look at that roster that roster is thin as fuck they got nobody no, we'll talk the about it they, we'll talk about it in a second yeah I think but they could like put that little like that the, there used to be that star making machine thing we used to laugh that the star making machine was broke in WWE because for a lot of years it was broke like there was this idea that for a very long time WWE could just say ah this guy's a star and then they'd make him a star but that got broke for a couple of years. It's back, man. They made Eli Drake a fucking star in 2023. And 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 that's, like you said, is so much more frustrating for AEW because I just listed off like five dudes that I have on my list. But you can you could probably give me a list of, of four or five other dudes that I didn't even have on my list that also could could do that and be in those roles and be tippy top stars. But does the company have the ability to make those guys stars? And I think that is is. What was a struggle in 2023 and hopefully is not a struggle in 2024 because then we're really talking about a company that has completely lost its 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 its, its focus and maybe its identity. Yeah, like I, I'm thinking like coming out of this, like I mean, I, I'm thinking about someone someone I think has a ton of potential if they wanted to go further with him. And I think he's different than anyone else that they have, and and de- certainly different than anyone else that uh WWE has as well, is Roosh. In terms of a guy who I think is starting to really yeah, get over, right? And that's a, a guy that's a great who's call. now he's also Roosh, so um, you maybe want to be careful with like how hard you push him. <laughs> he's got a, he's got a baby now. That may have changed the man. I'm well, baby. Hopefully, he, they Tony Khan has gotten way more clean jobs out of Roosh than I ever thought than anybody get. else. So yeah, maybe he's a changed man. You know. Well, here's the thing about Roosh, and here's the thing about like since Mexico is is like going back in time in a lot of ways where it's like guys can refuse to do jobs and guys are really protective of their spots. And that's the way you make the most money is kind of by still being a, a huge carny asshole. Um, in American wrestling and AEW and WWE, you make the most money by like not rocking the boat and people thinking you're reliable. That's how Dolph Ziggler made like $20 million in his career. Um, so like maybe he's just realized he's like, you know what? If I actually do a few jobs now and then, like I'm going to make way more money than I ever did before. So maybe that's maybe that's just 
his maybe that's what he's learned or anything like that. But I think like from a performance perspective, I, and I was originally a Roosh believer. I knew there were some haters out there that were like, oh, I don't know about Roosh. And I'm like, no, this guy's first of all, this guy is not only is he charis, super charismatic, but he also like just carries himself like a star, which is again something you get from the top workers in Mexico. There's just something about that environment coming from there where those guys understand how to work in front of a crowd in a way yeah. that that like American wrestlers don't. You have to see him live. If, if you're still a hater of, of Rush, and I, 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 for a while there, I was like, I don't quite get it with this guy. I'm not quite sure. I saw him live once, and it was like, oh, I get it now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you talk about that. We talked about the Von Erics at the top of the show, the aura that Rush has coming into a building. And I, I went to a show. It was, uh, what was it? Uh, MLW, I think. I forget if it was MLW or or, or Impact that booked Rush. I think it was MLW or whatever. And, and I went to the show, and the show was in a predominantly Hispanic area or or whatever. And, and, you know, seeing him come out there and it's like, you don't really understand how big of a deal this guy was. And he came out and it was a fucking mega star. I mean, people were jumping up and down, leaping up and down. It was, they were running to go give him a high five and, and, and shake his hand and stuff. And I don't think like, I think a lot of fans, maybe, you know, if you're kind of a quote unquote internet wrestling fan or whatever, you don't go to live shows. You just watch on, you know, uh, on TV or you watch on streams or whatever. And you don't quite understand what that aura is like. It's a different animal. And, and, and I, I'm glad you brought him up because I think one of the things that AEW can really do here in 2024 and would really be a, a mission for me is the diversity of stars that they could have and the diversity of mm -hmm. different people that they could have on top. You could have Swerve, Takeshita, Roosh, you know, all these. You can have those guys as tippy-top stars. And and let's be honest, WWE still doesn't push a lot of diversity. Like every People pretend that WWE is this very diverse company. It's really not. You know what I mean? Like the tippy-top stars are usually white dudes or Roman Reigns or, or a Samoan guy. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, it's pretty much all it really is. You can lie to yourself and, and bring up this guy and that guy, whatever. It's really not. Whereas AEW has a real opportunity to really, like you said, make a Mexican guy in Rouge, their top star and it be fine. And, and, and maybe God, it's wild, but like those fans can become big fans of your promotion. You have a real chance to make Takeshita a tippy top star, a big time star in your company. You have a really big opportunity to make, you know, like those kind of guys can be, they have so many really, really good in terms of when Bandito's ready to come back, in terms of Vikingo, if you actually can make him a regular guy, in terms of Commander, in terms of Roosh, in terms of those guys, like they have those kind of guys. I mean, they, there's a lot that they can do in terms of making the, their top stars the most diverse top American wrestling stars that we've ever seen, you know, and, and, and hell, it can go even one level. If we, we, you know, as we're talking about the state of 2024 and maybe if we get to new Japan, if the rumblings about Okada happens, like you might be able to get Okada and, and push him as the tippy top star as well. So that's something that you can do that, that whatever you want to say about WWE, they haven't done it. And I don't think they're going to do it anytime soon. That could be a real advantage for AEW as well. Is that look at the diversity of our top stars compared to what those guys have there. Maybe you don't say it. You don't have to say it necessarily, but it, you can make it pretty obvious of, hey, look at how many people, how many different you know, races and nationalities and, 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 and whatever are represented in our main event compared to, you know, what, what, what is happening elsewhere. You know, a hugely important aspect of that, I think, is not only are you, you know, checking a race box or whatever, but authentic representation, people being presented with their own ideas, which I think is like when we talk about Swerve and, I'm, and, I, and I say things like Swerve would bring something different to their main event picture. Like part of that is that, yeah, he's black and they've never really had a, a proper black singles wrestler as as a main event wrestler. But he also just has the whole hip hop vibe and he feels like 
a different type of personality and wrestler from all the way down from, you know, from his aesthetic, from his music, from his outfits, um, to the way he carries himself. He feels like this authentic figure, um, in a way like AEW lets those people yes. be that way as, which is as how well. you get it, that it, which, which is how you get that right. because you're not going to get that from having an older white guy being like hey this is what's <laughs> going to connect you with the the young you know insert exactly, race yeah. demographic audience right a a, a a a team of you know 45 to 60 year old white guys being like all right here's how you get cool <laughs> you know here's what you should do pal and it's like no hold on a minute like let let that guy who's actually in the, you know in, the, yeah. in it right now let him kind of dictate what he does and 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 yeah that that's something that again aw has or had i guess and, and i guess that that'd be a big part of 2024 too is is let you know let a little bit of, of authorship come from the wrestlers themselves, because trust me, they know their characters. It, it, it's the classic pro wrestling thing that it had, it has happened forever. Let, let these people be themselves because they know how to be themselves more than you know how to, you know, present them. WWE will never do that. No matter what, they'll never, ever, ever do that. Even if it's not Vince in charge, there's still an army of writers that that's just the way that that company is that the people come and they say, okay, what do you want me to do? And those, you know, the group of writers or whatever figures out what that guy does or whatever. AEW has an advantage where there's a little bit of equity in terms of the, 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 the wrestlers can kind of do their own thing and, and, and offer up their own suggestions and that sort of stuff. And they should not lose that, especially not in 2024 with so many different new younger wrestlers, you know, ready to emerge. That should be the biggest time to let these guys kind of do, you know, have some sort of say in, in, in what they do, you know, and that sometimes works well. And sometimes it doesn't work well, but I think that sort of authenticity, you, you can't replicate that especially with people like Swerve and Takeshita and Roosh and those sort of guys, you have to let those guys be themselves because there's no, yeah, like you said, there's no way that, you know, 35 to 60 year old white guys in a room are going to be able to tell these guys how to be and how to act. That's going to get they're over with, a, with the base. They're going to be telling Bianca Belair to say, I'm going to take off my earrings and beat your ass. Um, the, yeah, what uh, was the what was the phrase they kept wanting her to say? That like, was it. Ah, it was... wasn't it? Nah, and she was like, I don't want to say nah or something like that. It's uh, like, oh, no, oh it the one in the lawsuit. No, you didn't, or something like that. It was like, come on. Wasn't it the earrings line? Wasn't it like, don't make me take off my earrings and whoop you or something like that? Was that not? Yeah, it? maybe. I don't. That was one of them, but I thought it was like not. Uh, no way. Like I forget what it was, but it was it was pretty wild. But hey, remember that lawsuit? That kind of went away. Hey, remember when really there was a... attention to it? Yeah. Well, that it was a uh, it ended up changing. But remember when someone said in the lawsuit that's uh you know uh, uh, that a uh, a black woman writer that was writing for WWE said in the lawsuit that one of the head writers of WWE said, I don't know I don't know how to write for black black women uh, characters. Um, I do. And, and yeah, I do remember that, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and um, but that was probably proven wrong by like all of the amazing creative that was given to Bianca Belair in 2023, right? Like, right. They really showed us when she, um, <clears throat> what did she do in 2020? I'm not yeah. trying to remember now. That was, uh, that was honestly well, like, I can't believe that wasn't, hmm. I mean, I know why it wasn't talked about more, but like when you really think about it, it's like we have, okay oh it's a lawsuit it's a bitter person who was fired but when it matches up with like the complete lack of creative direction that bianca belair who kind of like she's kind of like a what we we're talking about hangman page earlier like kind of just like here's someone that's over and really good but we also have no creative ideas for them whatsoever so they're just kind of kind of float around for a year with very right. little creative direction maybe be in like a this eternal and feud year. with like the yeah. same people forever <laughs> yeah never and their stock is, or any sort of progression and, yeah. and her stock is stagnant now because of that uh but uh, that's a that's a different story. I think like with like 
when we talk about like Roosh, like in general, like I just think that there is no one else like him on American wrestling, either in WWE or AEW. Um, and that's something that you should really be going for, especially when there's he's starting to really get over with with fans like that aren't like you're talking about like going to MLW and those are fans that are like, you know, Mexican-American fans that are probably maybe familiar with his, his AAA work because they're reacting to him like a god. But he's getting over with just like your regular wrestling fans that don't know him as like this this major Mexican star. Um, and that's due to his performance. And I also think like WWE has been trying to get like the next big Hispanic star um, since, since kind of, and it always ends up just being Rey Mysterio again. But to me, like what they've always struggled with is they've, A, they've thought every Mexican wrestler should be Rey Mysterio, which means they got to wear a mask and be like a superhero. Um, but there's only one Rey Mysterio. And, or, or B, like they, since they don't know how to represent these people authentically, they often just like be like, yeah, you're just going to be like really into being Mexican, which is like kind of when they turned Alberto Del Rio face and they wanted him to be a face like his character was just like, you're just gonna like going to come out with a Mexican flag and talk about being Mexican. Yeah, a guy with Mexican flag. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like a guy it, who likes Mexico. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it, it all right. felt, it, and again, felt more like you're just like, we're trying to get connect with the audience. So we're going to like really hammer home that this guy is Mexican, which again, maybe is that's obviously the Mexican American population is the biggest Hispanic population in the United States, but there's plenty of other Spanish speaking people that are, uh, are not do not identify as a Mexican and uh, would maybe actually be resistant to someone being presented as as being Mexican. But Roosh, like, and the way they present Roosh is like Roosh's gimmick is that not that he's Mexican. Roosh's gimmick is that he's like an awesome badass. He just also happens to be Mexican. And also happens to to look Latino and speak Spanish in his promos, which again, like that to me is way more likely to. Again, like not like I'm an expert on, on marketing to the Hispanic audience, of course, but that to me is way more like likely to to hit on somebody really connecting with the the audience rather than just like thinking about these these two ways. I think when people talk about like Eddie Guerrero, I hear a lot of people talking about like these are Hispanic people talking about him. And they'll say like, oh, Eddie reminded me of my uncle. He reminded me of my dad. And Eddie Guerrero's character was not necessarily like, oh, I'm super Mexican and he came out with a Mexican flag. Um, it was like, he was just like, kind of like a relatable personality from that culture. Um, and you can't get that if you're having like Bruce Pritchard write for all these people. And that's a strength AEW has for, for, for everyone. That's a little bit different. That's, that's different than like a 60 year old white guy, which is by the way, like every wrestler now. No, for sure. I, I, I think, you know, that, that, that to me is short of the TV deal is the biggest thing in, in, in 2024 for AEW is, is getting that next wave over, getting those next new stars over, because I, I think they're really staring it down now where I think Chris Jericho is starting to, you know, his import. I like, I, I think he's still fine. Like I'm not one of those Chris Jericho haters, but like, I, I think he's starting to, it's starting to wind down in terms of what importance he has and how important he is to the show and, and that sort of stuff. And, and just his, his general aura is just kind of like, all right, now it's starting to feel like you're just watching an old guy. You, you know what I mean? And then through, there was a lot of that too. You know what I mean? Like you saw the destruction of CM Punk or whatever on, on AEW television. And it's like, okay, we went and did that. And that's fine. And like Brian Danielson's awesome. He's incredible. He's one of the best parts of the AEW show, but like you need to, I think use 2024 as a way for him, you know, saying it's going to be his last year as, as a regular pro wrestler. That's a very good opportunity to kind of move him 
down the pecking order and maybe get people up and 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 he can be a big part of that. He can and and he's obviously a very willing person to lose and get next the next wave over and do that sort of stuff. Sting, we haven't mentioned Sting as well. He was a great pickup when they picked him up, but now he is going to be done in 2024. We're two months away from him being done. Like, I feel like there's a good opportunity for him to help the next wave come over, whether it be a Darby or whatever. It, 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 if he's not on Everest or whatever the fuck, uh, it is wild. Yeah, if he, Darby is going to be doing Darby this is Darby. I think Darby's going to wrestle Sting at Revolution if he doesn't die in Mount Everest. But at the same time, I, I could also see that being a tag match. I don't know if that's going to be a singles match. Right, exactly. But like, it, it just feels like the early parts of 2024 are showing us that like, okay, it's now time to move on to that next wave, that new generation. The Kenny injury, uh, his diverticulitis or whatever, absolutely sucks. It's absolutely gutting. But I think that's another good opportunity to say, okay, you know what? We're don't, you know, that's fine. Let, let's 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 try to then now use whatever we're going to have him in to make the big bill and Ricky Starks thing, a, a bigger deal. Sting is leaving. Let's try to make somebody like Brian Danielson's leaving. CM Punk's gone. You know, the Christian Adam Copeland stuff has been good. And, and, and I think, you know, the actual on-screen stuff has been pretty solid, but this needs to be a pipeline to get Nick Wayne moreover. It needs to be a pipeline to get, you know, what other, whether you're going to do something with Luchasaurus or whatever, it's got to be something like that. Like I, I think this, we saw in 2023, the company feel old. In a lot of ways, it finally, for the first time in its history, felt like a company with a lot of older guys. Mm-hmm. And I think 2024 is a good time to kind of wash that away and say, okay, hold on a minute. Let's go back to the youth. Because we have a lot of youth on this, on this roster, a ton of youth on this roster. It's a good opportunity for us to make that youth the focal point. And, and the older guys can start taking a real step back. And 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 their whole ob- objective in 2024 needs to be getting these young guys you know, to that next level, as opposed to being, you know, taking up a lot of oxygen on the TV, which which they did in 2023. Yeah, and and it's it's hard because even it's easy to be like people who who you know have grown really stale that people don't like and say, ah, we got to get rid of them. And I actually really like Chris Jericho, but I also think it'd be pretty easy to be like, we need less Chris Jericho on this show. But even someone like John Moxley, like I hate to say we need less Moxley because I personally don't think we need less Moxley. But if you were to think about this in like historical terms, a guy that's been pushed as a main event act on weekly television um, in your company for four years, that's a really long time. Usually those guys get stale and get phased out before then, historically speaking. WWE doesn't do that anymore because the guys last forever. But it, it is one of those things where it's like, all right, well. We're now moving into our next generation of who our top stars are going to be. It's your top stars are not your top stars for ten years. That's 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 really never happened in American pro wrestling up until extremely recently. It's always about finding new stars and, and moving guys in and out. Yeah, and and the point you brought up about Moxley is is, is true as well. And 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 again, I, I love Moxley and I love Jericho yeah, like it's not guys, like but... it's it's and it's a hard argument to have because people when when it's easy when people like maybe dislike someone or, or aren't hot on someone but then you say like oh someone that people really like and respect also should probably be getting could, could if they got less tv time would it might be able to benefit the roster like it's the big thing is like adam copeland versus christian cage which is like people are so high on christian cage's performance right now because he's been really good and maybe people are less high on on adam copeland um even though i think he's been fine in AEW. but the truth is, is like these are just two guys who are you know right around 50 years old who have been on TV for a million years and really don't mean that much for business anymore, uh, if at all. So what are they actually accomplishing by being on television, even though right. if we can say their performances are good? And 
that's a tough call. I mean, a in AEW has so many good people that that's going to happen a lot where it's like, we got to make some, it's not like this guy sucks and this guy's great. So obviously you just push the great guy and get rid of the guy who sucks. But when it's like, right, this right. guy's really good, but maybe he's a little stale um, or he's, he's not, he doesn't have the same kind of pop anymore. Maybe we can try, let's try someone else who's new and maybe less proven is a much more difficult decision to make. Right, right. And it's like, that's how you're going to grow. And that's how you've always grown in pro wrestling. You don't grow by just pushing the same people over and over and over and over and over again. And eventually people go, oh, you know what? I didn't really want to watch these people two years ago, but now I want to watch them again. Or if they did watch them two years ago, you need new, new and different and unique and special. And and that that's the lifeblood of wrestling. So it's like, yeah, you can admit that you love John Moxley and think Moxley's great. You can think that Chris Jericho's great and like him, but you can also address that. Like maybe it's time for a new wave of people. Hey, if this company wants to grow and evolve and change and, and, and get, you know, to a new level, maybe not the next level, but a new level. Yeah. You gotta, you know, guys need to come in and out. Like you need to, the TV time that you allotted for a Chris Jericho probably needs to go to a, a Takeshita or a Kyle Fletcher or, or those sort of guys like that. That's, you know what I mean? Like that's, it's just, that's what the lifeblood of wrestling has always been. Like you said, until very, very recently where people just hung around forever, but yeah, it's, it's, it's 2024 time now it's time for AEW to start worrying about that next wave and getting that next wave up and getting the next wave through. And yeah, it's, it's some harsh realities are going to have to happen with some of these older guys. And it doesn't mean that you think they suck and you need to fire them and get rid of them. But like, it's just time. Hey, Chris Jericho, it's just time, you know, in, in terms of the bucks and Kenny, like, I can't believe we're saying, this, but like, you know, it's time for maybe you guys to just not be, you know, the biggest stars of the company. Like it's time for Hangman to be unquestionably the biggest star of the elite all the time and, and be the focal point of the elite. And you guys are just kind of the background players. That's how it works. And that's how it worked for, for, for decades upon decades upon decades in wrestling. And, and that's, I think, for AEW, how it's going to have to work here in 2024. If we want to see them really, you know, get above, because they've been very stable in, in terms of a lot of the TV ratings and that sort of stuff, just kind of been hovering around the same level. I think for them, it's probably like, yeah, that's good to be on that same level and it's good to kind of be hanging around there. But I think maybe, you know, 2024 should be a time to say, okay, let's see if we can, you know, try something new and see if we can get this thing up a little bit, take some risks and try to get this thing moving up a little bit because, um, you know, solid and stable has been okay, but, but it might be time to, to start trying to, you know, upset the apple cart a little bit and, and, and be the disruptor in the industry that you were when you first started. And now you've kind of rested on your laurels for four years. Maybe it's time to start, you know, getting back and being a disruptor. Yeah, I think it's um, and, and it's you talk about like phasing guys down and, and stuff like that. We're talking about egos. We're talking about people that maybe have some creative stroke in the company, um, guys who are not going to necessarily take that kindly. But those are the decisions you have to make. And like you said, like historically, wrestling is basically full of like one wrestling company or territory is holding on to old stars and they're dying, and one wrestling company is pushing new stars and they're succeeding. We just, we talked about the Von Erichs at the start of the show and obviously how big they were in Dallas. They were that that's how that territory took off. It wasn't like, hey, we're gonna bring in like I don't know, like Gene Kanitsky, or they maybe they did even bring in Gene Kanitsky. I have no idea. But like they weren't like, let's bring back a star from the 60s and push them really hard. It's like, no, we hey, we got some young guys in their 20s that are gonna connect with the new audience. Let's push them really hard. It helped that they were the promoters' children, but this the point is the same, is like you push new young guys. You didn't just go back in a time machine and hope to recapture some some old magic or or some name value. Um, and that's the history of wrestling. Um, I want to move on to World Wrestling Entertainment. And what did we learn about them in 2023? I think 
I'm always hesitant to say this because I'll never really truly believe it until he's dead, but it does seem like Vince McMahon is largely removed from the company. And I, it and does. I, yeah, it, it really it, does. And I know both you had a similar position as me in the sense of like, even when he was quote unquote gone from the company, I was always still extremely suspicious that he was pretty involved in the great event. And, he well, was, and they told you he was, and, and only <laughs> the, the biggest dopes that put their head in the sand were like, no, he's gone. But then Triple H would say like, yeah, we talked to Vince all the time. Or yeah, he offers suggestions all the time. Well, Vince is backstage, but he wasn't wearing a Vince is backstage, but he wasn't wearing a was like, You know, there'd be fightful reports like, oh, Vince McMahon changed the main event. And that happened like every other week. And it's like, okay, can we just maybe say that the guy is there? Because <laughs> it was like, oh, you won't believe this. But Vince McMahon came in and changed some of the script this week. And it's like, yeah, but he, if he does it every other week, then it sounds like he's still there. It sounds like he's not gone. Or like you said, yeah, he's backstage, but he wasn't wearing a, just so you know, he wasn't wearing a headset. It felt like all this like damage control instead of just saying, yeah, he still hangs around. Yeah. The weird sex pest guy is still hanging around our, 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 our company, but people try to protect that. A lot of the WWE, you know, very friendly media would try to protect that of, Oh, Oh, you're not gonna believe what happened, but Vince showed up to the show. <laughs> it's like, okay, he still, he still runs this company. So of course he's going to show up to the show and change some things, but it does finally feel like like you said that tko came in and essentially told this guy hit the fucking bricks pal we don't need we got you for the merger here's a bunch of money but you got to go we're doing this thing without you and it does finally feel like we are post vince mcmahon in this company that, that, could, that could always change but it does feel like there's so many layers and so many rungs of 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 thing and a ladder that he's got to get through to get to that point now that it it does feel like we are firmly in the post Vince McMahon era in 2023 and, and, and now in 2024, very much in the post Vince McMahon era for sure. Yeah. Well, he, he lost his power. He doesn't have supreme control over the voting stock anymore. Like he used to have, which is how he muscled his way back in to the company after kind of being banished for a period of time. Um, and without that, like, I mean, to, to, it's obvious to, to pretty much everyone that, his creative presence wasn't good anymore. And that Paul Levesque has as much more respect, I think, from a lot of different people in terms of his creative ability than Vince had at the end. Um, but with that being said, like in 2024, like what does this company look like now that Paul Levesque seems to have a lot more control top to bottom over the company? And uh, obviously, I think like Paul Levesque being in charge, the biggest benefit is that the fan base, which had been completely paranoid and pessimistic about the direction of the company, has done a complete 360 and is now um, very positive. And they believe in in, in Paul Levesque and they believe in the creative direction of the company and they're excited about where the company is going. And that's led to, I think, a lot of their business success um, over the last 18 months has come from the fan base finally being positive and optimistic and being willing to believe and invest in new characters. LA Knight would have never gotten over if Vince was still firmly in charge. Not because Vince's creative direction would be different necessarily, but because the fans would have never bought in that he would have been given a real chance because they had been burned so many times by getting behind somebody and then Vince cutting their legs off. They had, right. uh, the fan base had faith that Paul Levesque would would treat him more seriously, so they got more invested and to in them. him and, and listen to them. Yeah. And it, and and you know what? Even though like you can say whatever you want about the match at Crown Jewel and whatever, but they were right. Like he pushed LA Knight seriously, um, and they, he gave him a major match in, in a program with Roman Reigns, and that kind of again reaffirms that okay, if we get behind somebody, this guy is going to listen, and he's not going to fight us. 
And that goes a long way with rebuilding the trust that they had lost in that fan base. And I think yeah. that's been a huge step. My my major question for Paul Lebeck in WW Creative heading into 2024 is, um, can you actually be creative? Because my major question about his him, now that we kind of can at least mostly like dismiss the idea that Vince is like meddling and ruining everything uh, that Paul Lebeck is trying to do. But I don't see like, a ton of creativity on his end. I see a lot of wrestlers get brought back or, or brought called up without real consistent plans. I see basically the same feuds taking place over and over television, and they're able to get by because the product is hot and the fans have faith. But where you're doing Cody versus Judgment Day for six months, and you're doing Bianca Belair versus Damage Control for six months, or, or much longer than that in that case. Um and, you know, we're, we're doing, we need, oh, we need uh, uh, two pay-per-view main events. Let's just do Shinsuke Nakamura versus Seth Rollins twice without really any real creative evolution um, between the two matches. Like, I don't see a hugely creative product from WWE. And I think, and I, and, and historically, we haven't seen that from Paul Levesque. I know people think is it. We, we talked about this many times, but people rate his NXT run very highly. But his NXT run was largely substantiated by consistently getting new awesome wrestlers coming in and being able to move wrestlers off of the show by moving them up to the main roster, which I think saved him from having to come up with like any amazing creative ideas. And I think now that we're kind of going to be look like, okay, Paul Levesque is going to be in charge of the WWE main roster for years now. Can this company be like a little bit more creative week to week in terms of what they do? Because I think eventually the like their honeymoon period is going to end, and yeah. you can mm-hmm. already kind of sense that I think there is some fan resentment in the extremely repetitive nature of this. Do you remember, Rich? Do you remember like a a year ago or so? Um, it's longer than that now. It's like eighteen months ago. But like Paul Levesque was in charge for like two weeks. This is like right after Vince resigned or retired, um, and people were like already clapping be like no more rematches we're not getting any more rematches under paul Levesque, which was like this big thing vince did was there were too many rematches and and i guess right right after right. two weeks we were able to say hey there's going to be no more rematches under paul Levesque. do you remember when people said that and now the shows are literally nothing but rematches over and over and over and over and over again i do <laughs> i do remember that yeah and it's being called out too which i think is you know you the point that you put at the end of your uh a statement there was exactly what i have on my notes is Paul Levesque's honeymoon period is over. And that is going to be the big part of me for WWE in 2024 is now what's that next level? What's that next step? What are you guys going to do in 2024 to push things along? I think SummerSlam was probably the moment where a lot of people said, all right, do you guys have a plan here? Like what, what, because <laughs> I even know for my, I have a bunch of friends that, that are not involved in like internet wrestling discourse at all, or, or they're involved in like the internet wrestling discourse that, that we're not like the people listening to this show are not involved in the internet wrestling discourse that my friends are, my friends are on TikTok and arguing with people on Facebook groups and yeah. stuff like that. They're not in, in, you know what I mean? They're not on our discord. They're not doing that sort of stuff. They're, yeah. Everyone they're is on the I, internet. I, I, everyone right, is on the internet. I, Everyone that is on the internet is talking about things that they like. But not everyone exactly. is in. Not everyone is in the, the 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 hardcore niche that you and I like tread in. Right, but even in that niche, 
the niche that my friends are in, they're kind of having the same thing. A lot of them would say like, yeah, I'm kind of bored of the Roman thing. I wonder if I, I, I don't know if they have an idea. Like, do they know what they're going to do? What's the next step? What's the next level? And I think SummerSlam was the first one where they were like, okay, we're just really doing this thing again. We're doing the un Uso comes out and turns on another Uso to align with rope. And it felt like, man, okay, they don't have an idea for this. They don't know what they're going to do with this. They don't have an exit plan. And for me, I'm just sitting there going like, I mean, that's Paul Levesque's booking. Cause you said one of the, one of the, the cheat codes of early NXT booking was we could tell these stories with these guys, but then eventually Sami Zayn's going to go to the main roster. Oh, cool. All right. That's our story. Then Sami Zayn's leaving. Boom. Easy story to tell you have him, you know, do this, this, and this, this or whatever. And then, you know, he's gone and then you can move on. And then you can tell a new story again. That, that's the lifeblood of pro wrestling. Like we talked about for AEW is that guys leave and then you have new guys come in and you push those new guys. and You tell new stories with those guys. So NXT had that cheat code that, that a lot of modern wrestling doesn't where guys left and it was like, cool. Kevin Owens leaving. Great. He's out so that we don't have to figure out another story for Kevin Owens. He's gone. He's leaving. He's going to the main roster. And the real turnaround for NXT was when those guys stopped going to the main roster and those guys stopped moving up and you were left with Tommaso Ciampa and, and, and Johnny Gargano having the same match for a hundred years in a row. And Adam Cole and Ciampa and Gargano having the same matches for, for, you know, five straight years seemingly. And it felt like longer than it really was, but it was like, they didn't have any other stories with those guys. They just told the same story over and over and over and over again because those guys weren't leaving. And they didn't have those next stories. They didn't know how to they, – they were able to get from point A to point B. They had no idea how to get to point C. And that, I think, is what we're, we're already seeing with Paul Levesque's main roster booking is that he's great at A to B. He's phenomenal at A to B. He's so much better than Vince McMahon at A to B, but where he's not better than Vince McMahon is what's that C? What's that next story that we're going to tell with these guys? He doesn't have it. And – and he this is going to be a big year for him, and he never really has. So 2024, exactly what I was going to say. 2024 is a big time to say, hey, do you have that ability to do that? You got this Roman size. You have one of the biggest stories in wrestling here with Roman and who eventually beats him and who ruins this reign and who defeats him and that sort of stuff. Who's it going to be? Do you have the, do you have the idea? Do you know what it's going to be? Are you guys thinking and sitting down and saying, all right, we have this opportunity to make somebody. They're going to beat Roman Reigns and end this record-breaking reign. Here you go. You have the opportunity to do it, but can you? And, and I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question because like you said, and, and like I was going to say, Triple H has never shown that ability to do that. So he's always shown the ability to kind of stick with what's worked until it doesn't work. And that's what NXT was. They stuck with the exact same formula time and time and time and time and time again. And it was great for a while, but then eventually people started to say, all right, you got to have another story then. <laughs> this do you have anything else to tell us other than this johnny gargano tomato champa adam cole story and they didn't they didn't and that and ultimately doomed nxt until vince had to take the keys away from him and say all right no 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 no, hold on we're, we're breaking this whole thing down and and getting rid of all these guys because you you're not telling anything new you're not doing anything you're not growing and that to me is going to be the biggest story for dota in 2024 is that you have so many opportunities to really get a lot of people and tell new stories with people but can you do that You've never shown the ability to do it, but can you? And one of those is going to be one of the biggest stories in 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 wrestling history is what are you going to do with Roman and who's going to beat Roman? Because that has the opportunity to be gigantic, but it also has the opportunity to be like so many other stories in WWE history where it's like you guys were given this golden ticket and you fucked it up. The invasion, you know, those sort of things. What are you going to do? And and that I don't have, I have zero faith in Paul Levesque. And I feel like the fan base has less you know, faith in, in Paul Levesque than they did even a year ago and that to me is the biggest story of wb in 2024 yeah it's it's definitely not going to last forever um like the optimism that we talked about 
there has something has to be delivered eventually or people are going to get burned out and leave again um like like between the bloodline judgment day in this in damage control like the three like it's just basically like here's this heel group and the baby faces team up to fight them that is a that is that is that is three different storylines on raw and smackdown that are like the most consistent storylines that they have and it's the same idea and it's really just an excuse to have a bunch of different matches each week like they're gonna have a tag team match then one of the wrestlers is gonna wrestle one of the wrestlers on the bad guy team and it's gonna be a singles <laughs> match and then they'll wrestle at the pay-per-view and then they'll have a controversial finish so they'll they'll run it back and that's just like taking place all over the product Right, and, and then you insert a person into the unit to kind of shake things up and make people think, oh, hold on a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the and people leaves the heel unit to turn babyface. Right. It, it, it's it's it, Eventually, people are going to get sick of it. I don't care who you are. Like, it's... Uh, some people won't get sick of it, I guess. Um, but but this, this, this kind of, like, boom period that they're in now will eventually end if they can't capitalize on a lot of those things. And I'm not 100% confident they're going to be able to do that. I think they're really fortunate that CM Punk came back because I think that gave them a giant shot in the arm, at least of something interesting happening heading into 2024. I think they desperately needed someone new to come in and be interesting. And for at least now, that's certainly what Punk can bring is people are going to be intrigued in what yeah. he's doing and what his first feud is going to be in his first few matches and those kind of things. Um because I, I am thinking like without CM Punk and kind of that energy that he kind of in, has injected into this company, like what does it, what do they have going into 2024? They don't, they don't, they, they really don't have any young, exciting wrestlers. They don't. Um, It's kind of a fallacy that people kind of assume that there's a lot of like stars bubbling up and there, there, there isn't it's like JD McDonough and our truth is kind of like a hot feud. And then Cody is still kind of there, but he's arguably not as hot as he was last year. Uh, I would argue he's definitely not. I mean, I, I say not, I don't even know if it's arguable. He's definitely not as hot as he was last year coming off of injury, winning the Royal rumble and, and going to WrestleMania. And the LA night thing is kind of done. That's kind of over. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. Seth Rollins, sort of. It's like you're right. Without CM Punk, it's like there's nothing happening in this company right now. Yeah, like you look at, in like, like when we talk about this, there's it's kind of difficult because a lot of people don't know what they're talking about. But like people that actually understand, like, and can I identify talent? Understand that 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 NXT and like the younger wrestlers that have come through NXT, there's not a lot of like superstar ability, uh, talents coming out of there. And some oh, people no. will say like, oh, no, it's, you know, what about this guy and that guy? And it's like, no, like, I'll tell you what, you want to know who's who's not. Uh, who, I, I can't believe this, but you want to know who the bloom is off the rose on is Dominic. Remember, like six months ago, people we were we were getting close to having to concede that Dominic uh, was going to like perhaps be like a major player in wrestling um, that 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 ship has sailed. Right. Yeah, he's just a dude. He's just a dude on the roster. And, and is and he even was... getting the same kind of heat? Like that he was getting, no, like, he, the, he really even isn't. It, and even though it was can't eat, but whatever. Well, he's not even in his own unit. There felt like a while where he was like the biggest star of Judgment Day, and you know a lot of that was thanks to, to Rhea Ripley and, and thanks to her, you know, uh, abilities. But now, I mean, you look at the current level of of the Judgment Day story. I mean, it's more about JD McDonough and our truth right now than it is about Dominic Mysterio. About, he's like the fourth or fifth guy. What about or, Damian or Priest, McIntyre. who won the Ma and Money Damian in the Bank? Priest. Classic WWE exactly. Thinking. 
they give money in the bank to somebody and then they just like have no idea what to do with them once he has it. So he, he just, just carries it around it. and like <laughs> right, he's had right. it for six months. <laughs> right. And yeah, that's kind of you know, you're absolutely right about Dominic, where it's like they've even realized, okay, yeah, we had a lot of fun here, but like there's really not much else we can do with this guy. Like he's kind of just, you know, there doing whatever. So um I'm not yeah, taking it, that you're I, right. Yeah. I, I'm not taking that L Rich because I know in like our end of the world, like no one respected Dominic, but I, I was in some conversations in some of these uh more casual leaning groups that we were you kind of mentioned earlier. And even when Dominic was getting you know over and he was like going to NXT and, and popping some ratings and stuff like that, I was very adamant that I was like, guys, Dominic is not actually good. This is very short-lived. He actually has no talents, so this isn't going to be able to last. Um and people were like, oh, Jesse, when are you going to take that L on Dominic? Are you going to admit that Dominic's, you know, a, a real player in wrestling? And I'm not going to lie. I was getting a little bit afraid that that was going to happen. But now I'm like, OK, I was right the entire time. I was right to to never believe in this guy because he's not good. And you can only mask stuff for so long. And I will say, and this probably comes, you know, this this probably should put the rest of our conversation in context. And I don't know if you feel the same way, Rich, but I feel like you might. I have never felt less connected with what WWE fans want than I do right now. I honestly am not, sh- I'm, l- I'm less confident in saying this person will never get over. This thing's never going to work um, because people seem to react to like the opposite of what I think is going to happen. My, I do not really trust my instincts as much as I used to when it came to like identifying what was going to work with the WWE audience in advance, because I think it's the composition of it has changed, but I think their attitudes have changed a lot since Paul Levesque took over. And there's so much optimism that it seems like almost anything can get over, even stuff that's bad, as long as they push it hard enough. And so that is one caveat I'll throw into this conversation, which is like, I would have never thought LA Knight got over to the degree that he did. Um, I would have certainly never thought Dominic was ever going to do anything. So I'm kind of weary in the sense of like, I, I don't 100% have a enormous amount of confidence in being able to predict what's going to happen with their their fan base and kind of who's going to get over because i just i don't really understand them anymore at all yeah i i've definitely disconnected from any sort of like you said rational idea of, of what connect with those fans as well and that's why i'm glad i have a few of my friends that are not in the same circle you have that to i'm talk in to these people because yeah, because I'm able to kind of say like hey and 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 poke their brains about what's over and what's big or whatever and I mean, even them, I'm like, I grew up with you. Like, why are you, what, <laughs> why do you like, like we watched the same stuff forever. And then you went on this path and I went on this path. And now you're like, oh man, Samantha Irvin, she's great. Right. And I'm like, I don't know. She's a ring announcer. I don't really care. Like they love Samantha. I, I don't get it. They, the Samantha Irvin thing is the weirdest thing. I, I, they, that's like the, one of the top stars in WWE is Samantha Irvin to them. And I, I am blown away by this. I'm just, I, I can't understand it. And there's probably people listening that go, who the hell is Samantha Irvin? She's one of the growling ring announcers in WWE, the one that's married to Ricochet. They love her. She is a TikTok sensation and it blows my mind. And and I swear to God, she is probably one of the top stars in that company based on on, on talking to my friends and, and what they talk about and, and what they share. And then like, they'll get in discussions without me and they're just going back and forth about Samantha Irvin. I'm like, what am I listening to? What is, what is there, to, like, talk, what is there what are... to talk about with Samantha Irvin? I don't she's know. They're just like, oh, she's a great ring announcer. Oh man, she really brings a lot to the matches. Oh yeah, I love how she does this and this and this. And I'm like, what? She's a ring announcer. Just say the names and get out of there. Like, like what are we doing? Like nobody was... Nobody was arguing about Howard Finkel in like 1995. Like you were like, yeah, he's good. Yeah. And then that was it. Then you're like, yeah, Howard Finkel. And then it, it, it was that. That was the end of it. it nobody was I like, have oh, a, you know what? 
I have a point. This might open a can of worms because this is a totally different discussion, but it's related to your Samantha Irvin point. Um, specifically when it pertains to wrestling, I don't understand why people like things if someone is really hot. Like I don't like people, whether it's like uh, Samantha Kelly or or whoever, like, oh, Samantha Kelly's back. Oh, I love like this whole thing oh, about Kathy like Kathy Kelly, sir. Oh, Kathy, Kathy Kelly, Kelly, whatever. Please get it right. Um, Kathy Kelly. Um, like this, this whole idea of like, to pick anyone from, for even anyone from NXT, the women that somehow have, you know, are popular on social media or whatever, like, I just Tiffany don't... Stratton. Let's go with Tiffany Stratton. There yeah. Go. Well, Tiffany Stratton might actually be. A she's, good actually good. she's actually yeah. good. She's actually good. Sol so, Ruka. Sol Ruka. Yeah. How do we go but, with Sol Ruka. But just pick anyone that like I I, I like the uh, I like um the interview robot because they're literally just an interview robot. Like, but the fact that people like and Samantha Irvin you can throw into this this gap it's like people are like oh I I'm gonna pretend that this person's really good because they're hot. I the internet is full of ridiculously attractive people that are at your fingertips i've never really understood the whole appeal of like getting really into somebody just because they're hot and like then like getting into their work because they're hot like i don't know my brain doesn't work that way i guess like if you it's, think they're it's strange yeah i don't uh i don't know if i quite get it either it's just like yeah well because then people say like oh she's really hot and i'm like i mean she is but like a lot of people are hot. yeah <laughs> like this is, this is yeah like, like, i don't know the, there's lots of hot people everywhere i don't know like yeah, this isn't like it's not like we're in an office where someone's like office hot or you're like interacting right, with right. them every day. Like you're seeing them on television or on social media. You want to know who you see on television, social media, extremely attractive people. That's, right. how, that's how the world works. <laughs> right. Everybody is hot everywhere on the internet and on TV. So yeah, I don't get the idea. Yeah. I, Cause there's a lot of that too. There's a lot of like, Oh man, she's really hot. And I'm like, I mean, she is, but like, great, cool. I don't know if there's again, like unless you're ricochet, like, is that really important? <laughs> for some people it is yeah it, it really is for some, but yeah there, there's a lot of that a lot of that too so it's like yeah i, I i'm completely disconnected from that fan base because i don't understand what they like and how they like it and who what, but what but like i said though what was easy for them in 2023 i've seen it even from my friends it's like little by little it's like every time i talk to them they're they're more bitching than they are on board like because for a while it would be like i'd be like ah they're like hey you watch WWE and i'm like ah, nah, yeah, it's fine or whatever they're like oh no 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 this this is this or have you heard of this la night guy there was a lot of that like hey have you seen what's the deal with this la night guy have you ever heard about him this young like, whippersnapper yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah, i was like yeah for the last 10 years when he's been doing the same gimmick all over the world and and like there was a lot of that where they would be like oh yeah you ever heard of this guy and i'm like yeah i've heard of damian priest before <laughs> he was you know like for years if you watch the stuff that i told you to watch you would have known about punishment martinez you know 10 years ago or whatever but um now a lot of it is them asking me, hey, you, uh, you know, do they have any idea what they're going to do with like X or Y or Z or whatever? And I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, so I, I but again, I'm still completely disconnected from like what those fans actually like, because like watch this, like our truth, J.D. McDonough thing become like the biggest story in wrestling. And then we're just like, again, just like, all right, I don't know anymore. Yeah, it's, whatever. it's sure, really great. Fine. It's very difficult to, to, to like I if somebody like really likes the bloodline storyline, like I don't like the bloodline storyline, but I get it. I get why people like would enjoy this Roman Reigns presentation and kind of the palace intrigue and, and the segments and things like that. I, I understand that. Like, but like when people are like, Oh, Dominic is great. Like that is just like, oh, my, my brain can't get to that wavelength on how to even believe how someone can believe that. Like, yeah, well, that was a tough, that was, are a you going to admit that Dominic is a real star? 
I'm like, are you, are you ever going to admit that? I'm like, I, I can't, I don't, I don't get it. I, how can you watch this guy who can't talk, who has no charisma, that can't wrestle, that doesn't project <laughs> like a star at all. He's literally just like a sack of flour in the ring. And then people are like, oh, this guy's so great. Like, I, I feel like I'm on, like, I'm in some sort of like alternate reality where I can't see what everyone else sees. Yeah, I feel like that happens a lot with me in television these days, which uh, it's like the, the Principal Skinner meme. Is it like, is it my official college? Is it, the, is it the children? It's like, I don't know. I don't know anymore. I maybe have just finally aged out of it where I just don't understand it anymore. And I don't quite get it. But, yeah. There's, it's, but it's I hard do, though. To... But you're right, though. But I think we are right. Ultimately, we are going to be proven right because you're already starting to see it with the Dom thing. We're already starting to see it with the bloodline. Like, we had to we had to eat some shit for a year there, and it's okay. We had to nod along and be like, yeah, sure. But I think... I. I that bloom is kind of off the rose a little bit. I don't know if it's fully off. I don't know if it's fully off now, but the, it, it, we're, we're, we're getting very close to it now where I think people are starting. And and this, this particular season is going to be very important. The rumble to mania and that sort of stuff. This is like the golden time for WWE. And we all thought that after mania, when they had Cody lose, we were like, Oh shit, that's going to be it. Like that's over. It, it, you know, people are now going to wake up and realize, wait a minute, what the fuck's going on here? But for some reason they didn't. And so for some reason they were like, actually it's better that Cody didn't win when come on, we're all, we all agree. I think we should all agree now that Cody should have won, but regardless, like that didn't happen. But I think this year, if they don't nail the landing here with this WrestleMania and this Royal rumble, I think now we really, really do stand to maybe, that full honeymoon period being over and people being like, okay, now we're not quite sure what you're driving. And, and maybe not being, not being as easy to them as they were before. But with that said, there's a whole new generation of fans who just go to the show so they can cheer and yell at entrances and film themselves doing it. So I don't know. And I'm never going to identify with those fans that are there so that they can hold their phone up and, and film themselves on their forward facing camera screaming and singing along to Seth Rollins' song. You know what I mean? Like, I'm never going to identify with those wrestling fans. That that's just We're never going to be on the same wavelength. So I think that might be a problem, too. Yeah. I think with the Bloodline this year, it was like a recap of it. Like, I would have had Cody win at WrestleMania. I thought that was a perfect opportunity to really push someone to a new level that had momentum. And tell the story of the Bloodline yeah. fracturing. That's the best way to have the Bloodline fracture is that your star loses his, his the top title. Yeah, and I, and I, I will... This, they should get so much more shit for this than they do. I'm like the biggest champion of reminding people about this because I literally, I, I can't believe people don't talk about it more. The fact that the finish to WrestleMania was like Solo comes out, hit his cra- hits his crappy finisher when the ref isn't looking or whatever, and then Roman just pins him. Like the most uncreative idea ever for the WrestleMania. As the main event finish. for WrestleMania. And yeah. People <laughs> just don't. That's a WrestleMania. Yeah. And like like this, this like, it, it's, it's not like as bad as like the finger poke of doom, but like, it's it's like pretty much as bad as like the taser to Goldberg. Like it is so bad. Oh, for sure. It is so. It feels it was, like they were in a room for hours and hours and hours, and nobody came up with an idea. And they're and like, that's ah, also how like every, with the spike. That's fine. <laughs> and that's like how every Roman title defense has ended for like the last three years. I've got like I've got to deal with you know booking genius Paul Heyman. He's just he's just this genius, Rich. He's got just so many great ideas, and his idea for this main event finish is like ah Solo comes in and hits him with the thumb, and Roman pins him like. It's the main right. event to WrestleMania and another timeline that would have been absolutely destroyed for ending WrestleMania like that, but uh, not in the Paul effect era. Um, no, it got like a day of like people being like, "Wow, well, I don't know about that one," and then immediately after, I was like, "Oh, it, it, hey. And what I'll say about <laughs> that? Back to loving it. Well, what I'll say about that is that people were really invested in in the Jey Uso storyline. Yes, and yes. you can point to like the SmackDown ratings when they did the segments between the two of them, the Tribal Council and whatever. And those drew really big, like 
when they did those segments, which is something that you cannot say for most of Roman's bloodline run, despite the narrative being different. That like when those 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 uh, segments were on SmackDown, SmackDown did huge numbers, and SummerSlam was a huge success. So I, I'll I'll I can see that there was obviously a lot of interest in the Jey Uso kind of follow up post WrestleMania. So I can squint and kind of see like okay, and I understand why they did this, even though you could say you could do the same storyline without the title. But I do think people were really invested in Jey Uso like going for the title and knocking off Roman and being the guy to do it. Sure. But yeah. once they did that, it got through that at SummerSlam. I think this thing has has sunk again, and it doesn't help. Oh, that, that was the moment. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's the whether you want to say jump the shark, corner turning of the corner, whatever. That that was the moment where everybody was just kind of like, "Uh, do you you guys don't know what you're doing? <laughs> you guys don't have a plan at all, right? Yeah, because it used to be this. Oh, you just got to let it play out. These oh, Paul of Exegene. Oh, they they have an idea. Yeah, they have and, an idea. They have an I idea. Will, and now I don't think they have an idea. And I will admit that, like waiting for it to be Jey Uso seemed to have made sense. It's, there was a lot of interest in there. Yeah. There was a lot of interest in Jey Uso and, and Roman Reigns and stuff like that. The business reflects that. But once they didn't pull the trigger at SummerSlam and once they kind of moved past Jey Uso, A, Roman hasn't done anything. He had a, a quick feud with LA Knight and then he appeared on uh, SmackDown last last week uh, to kind of start, like, looks like he's probably going to wrestle Randy Orton or it's going to be a multi-man at SummerSlam. Um. With uh, by the way, the 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 SmackDown that Roman appeared on, I think, did the lowest eighteen of forty nine in like two months. Huh. Um, Wild. So huh. again, we're starting to see. Weird. I think like the actual business metrics kind of start to lose steam with the bloodline. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, if you're a WWE hardcore fan, if you're someone that really likes WWE and has a lot of faith in them, what creative direction have they give you in Bloodline for the last six months since SummerSlam? They had the match against LA Knight, which was kind of a quick do it and forget it match. You know, the blood money show. So it was kind of like, you know, this half-assed, we got to have Roman on the show because we're getting $52 million to do the show. Um, and now, like, I guess, like, Roman uh, is uh, said that Solo Soko is going to be, the, like, the next great guy and and, and, and Jimmy Uso made a face. That's 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 the six months of storyline <laughs> development, and I'm not exaggerating. Right. That that is it. That no, is Jay's gone. Done. Jay's completely yeah. detached from it. He's doing his own thing on Raw, and they they alluded to it a little bit with Randy Orton being like, "I'm not fully, uh, I didn't fully forgive you or whatever." Cody has completely forgiven everybody. He's just an absolute dork. He's just like, ah, water, water under the bridge, pal. Put her here. Let's let's you know, let's have some fun. But yeah, Jay's completely detached from that story when he was like you said. 2023 was he was the focal point of the story and you could almost buy into okay you know what you don't want to have it be cody because you want it to be jay fine okay well then it was jay and then jay just went to raw and now jay is just a guy you know what i mean he's just a guy on the roster and they pushed and he's, he's a quote-unquote star on that, that on that brand so that's fine but yeah the actual quote the, the whole bloodline story you nailed it right there he kind of fought la Knight, beat him and now jimmy makes faces he made yeah. a face once because roman's not even there but right, they can't even do right. So it's it's that that yeah. There we're we're I don't know if we're approaching or we're there where that story they got to hit the eject button on that soon. But again, like we talked about earlier, I don't know if I have the faith that Paul Levesque and that current creative team is going to be able to sit down and and figure out the exact best plan of attack to 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 have it because this is a big deal. This is a huge deal yeah. when this guy loses the title. Yeah, well, and, and you also have, have to think. We also have to think like with Vince, Vince had this like iron tyrannical power over everyone. Um, Paul Levesque does, does not, I would say. 
And so like, what if Roman, like Roman probably has a lot of say in what's happening with his mm-hmm. storyline. Which is probably the reason why he's been champion for 1500 mm-hmm. days or whatever. And his, uh, his advocate, both uh, on yeah, who's, who's, who knows his meal <laughs> ticket is, is, is clinging to this guy. Um, uh-huh. So that it might, it might be out of Paul Levesque's hands to a degree. Paul Levesque could be like, Hey, we've got this young guy from NXT, pick whoever you want it to be. We're going to build him up and have you lose to him. Say it's Braun Breaker. And Roman could easily be like, I don't want to do that. And as opposed to Vince, because of his incredible supreme power over everything, could just be like, fuck you, pal, you're doing it, or I'll strip you the title and fire your ass. So a different, different, different world now. And I think Roman might have a little bit more sway than 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 even the normal top star had under Vince. Um and Paul Levesque is, you know, maybe he's 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 fine with that because business is good and he's getting tons of praise. So Maybe he isn't that bothered by it, but mm-hmm. that that's a, that's another factor that's coming into play. And, it, and perhaps sure. maybe perhaps maybe Cody losing at WrestleMania was maybe not Paul Levesque's decision um, necessarily. Uh, but I mean, look look what it looks like to me is it looks like we're gonna repeat Jay Uso storyline with Jimmy, and then we're gonna do like a solo storyline where Solo faces Roman. So we're gonna pick off these Bloodline guys one by one. And we've still got like two more years left before like solo wrestles Roman at WrestleMania oh. in 2025. <laughs> or maybe The Rock will come. Maybe The like, Rock will come. I feel like we're still doing the maybe The Rock will come thing. And it feels like we should maybe stop doing the maybe The Rock will come thing. Even and, if The and, Rock and comes, maybe... like The Rock's not going to beat Roman Reigns. Right. And even if he does, that's a fucking terrible story. Like I was arguing with people about that last year too, where they're like, well, actually the story is that the rock comes. I'm like, what a horrible story that is. You spend all of this time having this one dude railroad and destroy your entire roster only for this Hollywood guy to come in and hit a rock bottom and pin him. And then like the next night be like, well, I got to go back to Hollywood. So uh, I'm vacating the title. And then you put it up for like a tournament or something like that would suck. What a terrible story that is. The rock isn't beating Roman Reigns, even if he does come back, you know what happens when the rock comes back, he comes back for like, maybe like, Maybe he wins the Rumble or something, but like he comes back, he's there for like seven or eight weeks. You do like huge business and he pops a huge rating because he's the rock and it's like a really big match at WrestleMania, but then he leaves and you're right back where you were before. Right. Um, and not unlike, I think we talked about like AEW kind of having that urgent need to like, who are going to be your next big stars? Like when are you going to create that new generation of tippy tippy top guys? I think like in a vacuum WWE is actually in much greater need of like new life at the top of the card and desperately needing some new younger under 30 wrestlers to pop up wrestlers that haven't been on TV for years and years to pop up. But WWE technically is not in the same businesses as AEW in terms of WWE. It's less important. I think that they get these new stars because AEW is really trying to define the second chapter in yeah. its company. While WWE is like this internal machine that will always be around. But if you were to compare like, okay, which of these companies is really starved for like new breakout stars or people that have the ability to be new breakout stars, I'd be like, WWE really needs them because we talked about, I talked about Moxley being kind of like, he's been on TV for a while and been exposed. Like Seth is, is like that times five because he's been in WWE forever. Um, and, and Seth is whether you like him or not, like he's carrying like from a like performance perspective, from a main eventing shows perspective he has been carried he carried this company him and cody carried this company in 2023 in terms of like being the guys who were recognized main eventers who did all the work um 
and you desperately need someone else to step in that's not as stale as Seth into that role. But I have no idea who that's going to be. No. Um, and, because... and and I don't think that guy's on NXT right now either. You know, to your your point earlier, it's not Brent Breaker, and I don't I don't think that he's ready to take that next leap up. And and that I think this is twenty twenty four might be a very good eye opening to. WWE developmental as well, where it's like, yeah, you guys, you know, the, it's they got the CW deal. They're on a new television network. They got their tell, you know, they 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 grew from the absolute ashes that that was, you know, NXT for a while there, and it felt like they were absolutely, you know, just treading up water with the Adam Cole stuff. It was going nowhere and the undisputed era, and then getting just destroyed by AEW. And then they 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 cut. They went to a different night. They got rid of all the, a lot of the older guys on the roster and went young and, and kind of rebuilt. And they got to a point where, yeah, again, they were able to get and secure a pretty damn good TV deal. But we're back at this point again where it's like, I don't know, NXT's got some good stuff on it, but a lot of that good stuff is because they just put good wrestlers that were good elsewhere in top spots. You have Ilya Dragunov as your top star, you know, as your champion. It's like, all right, well, we Ilya Dragunov has no ability to become like a tippy-top guy in an actual WWE roster, right? Like, there's no chance in, in hell that it's ever going to happen there. Dragon it's, Lee is their North American sh- champion. They're not going to do anything with Dragon Lee. Like, come on. And and even then, he's like, they, they've neutered him to the point where he's not like a spectacular, you know, he's not Dragon Lee the way that we sort of know Dragon Lee uh, at all anymore. And then elsewhere in the card, it's like, I don't know, Carmelo Hayes, I don't think that guy's going to be a tippy, tippy top star ever uh, in the main roster. And yeah, who else? Ron Breaker? I mean... They they don't have the guys like it, you look at that raw. You think, oh man, don't be developmental. None of those guys are ready. None of those guys are going to be t- Dijak, Trick Williams, Bron Breaker, Tyler Bate, Dragonoff, Carmelo Hayes. Like none of those dudes are going to be top dude. They're not they're never. None of those guys. So yeah. it's like, well, I hate to say never because again, I if we lived we yeah, lived in a world where company, Dominic was but... like a, a a memorable star in twenty twenty. Right, right, so. right. <laughs> um, but I agree in the sense that like. I mean, moving forward, like what are WWE's next breakout stars? Like it goes back to, you know, a problem that I've been very adamant about. And I know you feel the same way, Rich, which is like the performance center isn't good at actually producing wrestlers that are good. And if that is going to be your main way of getting younger wrestlers, it's not going to churn out a bunch of people that seem to have a lot of, uh, that have a high ceiling because the way that they want their wrestlers to be presented and the way they want their wrestlers to be, uh, to, to act and to, to wrestle like is not compatible with like being actually good at pro wrestling. It's like some sort of robotic Vince McMahon idealism version of pro wrestling, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's telling that like, whether it's Roman Reigns, the Usos or Cody Rhodes, or even Seth Rollins, like these guys don't act like the WWPC robots and they're all the most popular wrestlers in the company. And why is that? Right. Yeah, what what made Cody a star is the fact that when he came into that company, they they didn't make him into their version of Cody. They just said, do whatever you've been doing the last couple of years, because that's obviously been working. So go be that Cody. And he's been that Cody from day one. You know what I mean? And that's what that was such a, a culture shock, I think, when he came. And that's that's why a lot of people did get really, really excited about Cody when he came into the WWE initially, because everybody's like, oh, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And it was just like, nah, here's just Cody, the same Cody you've had yeah, from AEW. He's, he's not a same music. Yeah, he's not a no, same music, same entrance, same robe. Everything's exactly the same. And guess what? It got over like crazy uh, again because it's like get over by whatever you do to get over that. You know, that used to be the, the ethos of wrestling is what do you do to get over? Great. Do that. And then WWE slowly but surely decided, no, we know how guys get over. We know what to do. 
And like you said, the guys that are over in that company are almost all guys that just do their own thing that they, you know, are, are completely different than what is being taught to every single person in, in a performance center. And, and, and I think that's going to be a real thing for 2024 too, is like that next wave. We said that AEW's got an embarrassment of riches in their next wave. Now, can they nail it? Can they do it? I don't know. WWE, I don't know who that, I don't know if they have a next wave. I'm not sure what that next wave is. Is it Damian Priest? He's what, 41 years old or 39 years old? Like LA Knight, yeah. Yeah, like that's the next wave is like guys that are already there that I guess you move up a little bit, but the next wave is CM Punk and Damian Priest? And Jamie yeah, McDonough, maybe? Like what? And the, the Punk thing is, is... It's a house of cards and we all know it. Well, well, it's a house of cards, but even if it's not, like as... The punk benefit is short term. Yeah. Like the interest is is gonna is, I would argue the interest is already waiting, but um I think like you know, punk is a short term. He, he's gonna bring out he's gonna be he's exciting right now. His first match will be big. His first, you know, if he if he wrestles Roman Reigns, that'll be like a big match. I I'm kind of doubt that's gonna happen, but it would be a big match. But like punk is not someone you're gonna be able to build for like next four years around. Uh, and that and that's not even factoring in, you know, the the Mount Brooks uh, factor. Yeah, like or his said. injury history. I mean, yeah. that, that's uh, people do not want to bring that up ever. And the guy's been hurt a lot lately. Every time he's going to the ring, there he is is largely getting banged up pretty good. I mean, that's the other thing too is if you, if you're and that might be a big reason why they put him on mothballs for a while and they're like, hey, look, don't even wrestle until. We're going to do these house shows and you're going to be against Dom and you're not going to have to do much. And then we're going to keep you very protected because I think they realize that looking at this guy's injury history, he's going to want to go out there and, 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 and I'll always give credit to punk. He always goes out there and busts his ass and gives 110% no matter what. Yeah. And, working and hard is not, is not his issue. No, if anything, never it's, been the issue. He's working too hard. You're right. <laughs> maybe, maybe bring it down a little bit or just calm down a bit, pal. But I think they also realize that, this is their not necessarily their meal ticket, but the guy that that is really like you said in, injected some energy into WWE at the end of 2023 when they really needed it the most. And there's a very real possibility that this guy gets in the ring and gets hurt within the first three four months of him back in this company. And then what? You know what I mean? And then what? And 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 then they don't have that guy anymore. And then that injection of energy is gone. And maybe you you put so. I think that they're going to be very, very protective of when he wrestles. And I don't think you're going to see him wrestle much on Raw or SmackDown or, or, or any TV shows. I think you're going to get a little house show stuff. Those house shows in particular are important because you know, there's going to be TV executives there uh, and that sort of stuff. And then obviously Rumble and obviously WrestleMania. But I think, yeah, they're going to keep it, it very careful with him because, A, like you said, the eruption potential and then B, also the injury potential with him is, is strong. So, again, this can't be a guy that you're building around. Like, we're talking about building around CM Punk in the year of 2024 for WWE as a viable, you know, thing for them to move and grow and that sort of stuff. That's just not – that can't be the answer. The answer cannot be CM Punk. And I'm, I'm – I'm ex- like, and those are all reasons why I'm extremely skeptical that, like, CM Punk, like – showed up in WWE and all of a sudden Warner Brothers Discovery is breaking down the door to Nick Khan's office trying to hand them a billion dollar television contract. Yeah, it, it's that whole thing. And, and, and again, I have no idea. I guess what will either be proven wrong or right on that. I, I feel like there might be a there might be a little bit more of a, a hey, you know, we have Sam Punk now. So it's like sure they were probably already gonna have those conversations. I'm sure they were gonna have those conversations. It's that's due diligence. They did have those conversations part. and then they were right. they, they did have the conversations and then they were like, ah, oh, we're not interested. And then they found, apparently found out that they had uh 
Phil Brooks was back in the company and David Zasloff stopped what he was doing and, uh, you know, was like, oh, my God, we, we, now we're interested, uh, according to certain reports. Um, right. I think with like the television deals, like you mentioned, like they're obviously the biggest story of 2024 is what's going to happen with both Raw and um, AEW, respectively. To me, it's like at this point, we don't really know that much about it. And I think the week to week speculation over where these entities are going to end up have been some of like the worst conversations in, in wrestling circles because we really don't know that much about it. Um, and I think a lot of like little reports end up being like people freaking out with them with the CM Punk Warner Brothers Discovery is, is you know, the cover story of the Observer was like, is 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 AEW going to be in trouble if Warner Bros. Discovery doesn't want them because they signed Raw, which I think is like... I understand it's newsworthy. I understand why Dave covered it. And I don't even think that Dave is necessarily wrong with his reporting, but I also think it's just like people are going to react to that like way over dramatic. And then in six months or so, we might feel very, very stupid that we spent this much time thinking about it. Also, we don't, nobody knows anything. You know what I mean? And nobody knows. And, and none of this is going to matter. I think the NBA is going to be first and foremost. Once that deal gets done and how things shake out after that, that's when now we have some real, you know, th then we could, but right now speculating on anything before the NBA signs their deal, I think is dumb. I, I think it's because you don't know. We don't know what the landscape is going to be until the NBA locks up whoever they go with. And if they go with Turner, maybe Turner says, okay, we're done now. We don't, we, we spent a lot of money to secure uh, the NBA. We're done now. Or Turner says, you know, we don't want the NBA anymore. And now all of a sudden they have an extra $600 million to, to play with that they don't have, you know, so all these, and, and like you said, it's just a lot of people that don't know anything and are not privy to any conversations, you know, speculating about, ah, oh, I, I, I think that this is going to happen because of this and this and this. And we have no idea. This is, it's old live TV sports thing is all ridiculous and, 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 and wild. Yeah. And, and it's a wild west right now. Nobody has any idea what's going on until yeah, and it's things actually over, get a, I say this as someone as a WrestleNomics co-host that has certainly benefited from increased interest in these kind of topics oh of course yeah um, <laughs> good for business for sure yeah but at the same time it's like people are i think this is this is a broader question about wrestling discourse in general but i think people are, are eager to to score points with whatever their personal opinions and views are on the quality of a certain product and are desperately clinging on to any information that comes out from a business perspective to justify their beliefs, feeling like, oh, this this is correct because, like, uh, I, was, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have been looking in the first place, but I was looking at some discourse somewhere that was like, oh, they're gonna MJF is gonna feel really, really Tony's gonna feel really bad for building around MJF when Warner Brothers Discovery throat doesn't renew, and it's like what. Those two things have nothing to do with each other. If Warner Bros. Discovery doesn't renew, it's not because MJF didn't draw quite as well as champion as some people wanted him to. And But people hate MJF, so therefore he's going to be responsible for them not getting their new TV dealer. Or, right, or, that uh, sort of level of minutiae does not exist in these giant boardrooms about TV wrestling no, and, and, and securing of, live sports. Yeah, they're not yeah. looking over the quarter hours going, God damn it, you know what I mean? This is ridiculous. <laughs> Flipping over the table, and I, I was going to give them a billion dollars, but God damn it, these quarter hours. like it, MJF's 9, 9 o'clock to 9.15, it only grew 2%, 18 to 49, when normally that slack grows 5%. Like, cancel the check. Yeah. Yeah, get, get, call, get, get my get my secretary on line one. <laughs> Don't let that letter out. We were gonna we we're gonna do the letter and we we're gonna sign the contract, but I looked yeah, at this quarter out and, and I just I use, yeah. I use the MJF in, in AEW as an example, but you can literally use it for for quite literally anything. Um 
I think some people that really like that CM Punk in WWE are going to use it as the, oh, CM Punk. It's going to be funny when CM Punk gets a, throws AEW out of business by landing Raw on Warner Bros. Discovery. Right, right, right. And Tony Khan's, you know, forced to close up shop despite having access to enormous personal wealth and certainly having probably the ability to get another TV contract somewhere. But yes, live so. sports is the most valuable, maybe not in terms of dollars and cents as much valuable as it was but still in terms of the last lifeblood of cable television is live TV sports. So if you have a live TV sports property, that's routinely in the top five in your demo and routinely the top on your network and routinely uh, as important as it is on, 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 you know, DVR free and, and, DVR, and maybe not DVR free, but DVR proof in, in some sense, um, you're going to get money. I think one of these things is going to give you some money or <laughs> going to send you something. So this idea that once Warner's out, it's like, well, boys, this is a fun ride. AEW is now officially dead. It's like, that's probably not realistic at all. It's, 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 it's just, I, I don't even think it's probably not realistic. I think it's, it's nearly impossible that that's going to be the case because I believe that there will, and it's going to be tougher and it might be more difficult and it might be, you know, a, a real tough time for the company, but I'm very confident that if Warner said, ah, you know what, we're actually going to sign WWE or, you know, we're going to sign the NBA and now we don't have any more money. Um, so sorry, we can't sign you guys. I, I, I believe in my heart and hearts that AEW could, could present their portfolio and their package to a lot of other places. And, and they might not, you know, get, uh, it might not be as prominent of a network. It might not be whatever, but I believe that in my heart of hearts that they could present their portfolio to anybody and, and, and get a reasonably decent TV deal, uh, in this current landscape that exists. Look, impact has somehow managed to be on television for 20 years. Right, right, right. So yeah. And it, AEW, like for all the, all the all the quarter hour, you know, manipulate everybody going nuts about quarter hours and that sort of stuff. When you, when you really look at it, AW is a tremendous success on live television for Turner, like a tremendous success for them uh, on live television. And people go over collision ratings. Oh my God. They're getting way more return on investment on a Saturday night than they would for, for most other things that, that are, are being presented on a Saturday night. Like, Warner might want to go in a different direction. I don't think it's because of AEW success failures. It might just be that they have another option or, or, or money's tight or there's weird stuff going on in WBD. I don't believe it's that they're upset about AEW in, in any way, shape and form. AEW's business has been in terms of television has been fantastic for them. Yeah. It's, it's everything you would ask for in, in this property in a live sports property you're getting out of AEW. So yeah, people freaking out over, you know, the difference between 850,000 and 900,000 is like, <laughs> you guys are, are, are missing the force of the trees. And that's not, it, it, they look at the rankings and go, okay, cool. Great. We're good. You know what and I mean? They, like, and we're, they we're, might we're, look we're, at the rankings like once every like month or, or less. They're not right. I doubt there's a, 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 a giant board in David Zaslav's office. And he's like, he looks at like AEW going down and goes, Oh my God, what a, what a horrible investment I've made. Oh, I'm killing the company. Oh my God. Like, uh, especially that company has a lot of other problems and a lot of other things to deal with uh, right now, more so than, you know, how MJ quarter hours are moving relative to, uh, to other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think in, um, when we talk about that kind of stuff, I just think, I think that like a, a lot of people don't know what they're talking about. B people are too reactionary, especially like week to week when investors aren't really looking at this in that span um but i think a really i think like a really important distinction especially when we talk about both the raw and the AEW deals is that we're talking about the two companies that are in totally have totally different business goals in mind raw needs to get a significant increase onto their already huge television deal um in an environment where people are finally starting to be like 
maybe we shouldn't just give everyone an automatic huge increase uh, every time because there's like the spending limits are tighter and budgeting is different and they're starting to, to lose their uh, throw money at all live sports content uh, blitz that was going on for a number of years. But so WWE needs like this gigantic investment to be made in them um, to justify kind of their stock price. And if they don't, heads are going to roll. AW just needs to, I guess, get so that the company can be even, I guess. Like AEW's business goals, if you're a fan, you should only be concerned about AEW's business in terms of like, oh, I hope this company doesn't go away or this company can remain like a competitive product to WWE and have a, you know, a good looking television show and be in arenas and stuff like that. But like AEW is just trying to, to break even because Tony Khan is not necessarily in this for because he thinks he can make a billion dollars running a wrestling company now maybe one day he, he believes he can but he's doing this mm-hmm. because he loves pro wrestling that's why he's doing this and absolutely he comes from incredible personal wealth where he could make this happen as opposed to wwe is like this publicly traded company that needs to be making profit 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 every single year and in year over year have year over year growth as opposed to AEW seems like Tony Khan's like, man, if this company could not lose this any money, I'd be thrilled. And those are two totally different business approaches. Right. Absolutely. If, if at the end of the day, the ledger is positive. Great. If it's a little negative, that's probably fine, too. If it's a lot negative, I think that's OK, too. Yeah, I, I think people lose sight of that as well, that they don't really realize the personal wealth that the cons have. And they don't really realize that this is largely a passion project for for, for Tony. And I, again, you don't go into it saying I want to lose money and I'm okay losing money. No, no good businessman is okay losing money. But I, I don't think that yeah, little losses here and there are, are hurting them all that much. And if it's negative at the end of the year, I think that's largely okay for 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 that company. And and look, their portfolio has a lot of stuff on it that if 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 they got real desperate and money was really tight, they could turn that whatever it is around. They have a lot of different things that they could turn around and you know, the con family themselves and make about a billion dollars in an hour if they really want to. You know what I mean? Like if, if things really got down to the nitty gritty and they're really struggling for something, uh, there are numerous things in their portfolio they could turn around and 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 make a lot of money within if they put the Jaguars up for sale within a couple hours, they'd be billionaires. You know what I mean? <laughs> and more billionaires than they already. Yeah, I was gonna like, say they would be billionaires. They're already right. Billionaires. They're already I- billionaires. They would be multitudes times larger billionaires in an hour if they really wanted to. I, I wish nothing but long term health for Shad Khan, but the day Tony inherits like half of Shad's money, assuming he gets half and his sister gets the other half or whatever, or even if he gets like a little bit more of Shad's money. Can you imagine like Tony's just got like a lot more money now all of a sudden than he already has? Yeah, right. That's going to be a great time to be a wrestling free agent. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely. 100%. But, yeah, people people just don't comprehend the amount of money that the, that the cons have. And, yeah, and, and that just doesn't... Won't... And that doesn't mean that they're gonna like be okay with like spending recklessly, but of course, it does. Of course not. It gives them an enormous amount of financial security. Where it's like, if the TV deal isn't as awesome as maybe people were hoping to be, it does not mean the company is going to close up shop because they're not gonna they're not gonna be able to ch- checks aren't gonna be bouncing like it's it's not like ECW or or, or your local indie or or or, or even <laughs> right. WCW. Yeah, I don't think checks are bouncing anytime soon. Uh, in AEW and and a lot of billionaires and you go through billionaires portfolios again they're not billionaires because they make bad business decisions but there's a couple of things in in, in every company that like 
guys, you know, that are, are any dudes portfolios that are, are probably losing money, but they're passionate about it. You know what I mean? Ted Turner had numerous things that he was just like, ah, WCW for one was like, ah, whatever. I just Rich, like WCW. These, these guys are building fucking spaceships and shooting themselves into space. You know how much money that costs? Right. <laughs> exactly. Without any return on investment. Just, yeah, ah, that'd be cool. You know? <laughs> like, right. like Tony's building a wrestling company. Like He lost $20 million on a wrestling right. company and Jeff Bezos shot himself into space. Like, which one do you think is more? Yeah, like, just because. Uh, yeah, like like you said, um, if uh, if people stopped eating bumpers, and if the Premier League and the NFL suddenly stopped making money, uh, right? Then, yeah, then if, they if, might if be in trouble. International soccer, the NFL, and cars all stop existing. They're in a lot of trouble. But until that happens, until cars, if cars are still being made. And football is still being played in America in the National Football League and uh, international football slash soccer is still being played. I think the cons are going to be okay. I really do. Literally like the three strongest like consistent industries we have as a society. (laughs) Right, right. Um, All right. I'm not, we're not going to talk about Ring of Honor or or, or Impact uh, at this time because we're we're pushing past two hours or close to it at this point so um rich would you you have anything to plug i'm sure there's most of our listeners are familiar with your work but if you'd like to plug it feel free to do so oh absolutely yes uh voices of wrestling.com obviously you're you're hopefully listening to this on the voice wrestling podcast network uh we have that going as well that uh if if you want to subscribe to each individual show's feed including the gentleman's wrestling podcast but also if you want Get all of the podcasts on the Interesting Podcast Network. Uh, we have a feed that has every single show uh, on one consistent feed as well. So you can do that. Uh, again, VoicesOfWrestling.com for previews, reviews, columns about the world of wrestling. Uh, we have a lot of really good projects going on throughout the year. So that'll be a lot of fun. We got Match of the Year coming up uh, in uh, January as well. So that's always one of the biggest times of the year uh, for the website. So that'll be very exciting. And then, yeah, I uh, I co-host the uh, Flagship Podcast on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. So make sure you listen to that. And uh, I also do uh, flagshippatreon.com where we do our bonus audio. Uh, me and, and Joe Lanza, who do the uh, flagship podcast, do bonus audio and written content uh, over there at flagshippatreon.com. And I have a really cool series going on right now called Brett versus Owen, uh, breaking down the uh, Brett Hart versus Owen Hart feed, which turns 30 years old uh, this year, which makes me very old and feel like I'm turning into dust. But uh, that is indeed the case. But uh, we're having a lot of fun with that over there at flagshippatreon.com, all of, us, all of our other bonus audio. Uh, that we do in live reaction shows to major pay-per-views and that sort of stuff is all available there at uh, flagshippatreon.com. But uh, yeah, really, thank you for uh, having me on here. This has been a lot of fun. All right. I want to thank Rich for being on the show and I want to thank all of our listeners. I don't know if people are listening to this before Christmas, but uh, happy holidays and Merry Christmas Mm -hmm. to everyone who celebrates. Um, Happy Boxing Day to our our friends in the Commonwealth nations. Um, I I know there's a, there was a Boxing Day conversation on the flagship, uh, there was, yeah, a little week. Boxing Day conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, I know of Boxing Day because uh, my uh, my wife is a big fan of Lush Cosmetics. I don't know if you're aware of Lush at all, but um, they sell like bath bombs and 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 creams and all this sort of stuff. But they have a gigantic Boxing Day sale every single year, uh, and I've been dragged to that many, many times, including one year where my wife had to work and said, hey, can you go to Boxing Day and get me a bunch of stuff, which I thought, ah, you know what, I'm going to get there early and I'm going to beat the rush. And uh, I was in line for like four hours and I was like, you owe me forever for this. So I'm well aware of yeah. uh, the history of Boxing Day as it relates to uh, to Lush Cosmetics. So if you're like a rich, you know, if you're like a rich person, and you got like a nice new pair of shoes for uh, Christmas, you know, put your old pairs of shoes in a box and give it to, to some poor person, you know, that's that's the spirit of the tradition. <laughs> Is that that's 
because that's what's actually the spirit of it. Yeah, is, that's right? what it is. It's no, like no, it's, no, it's the not. day after Christmas. Yeah. You get new things, and you, and you give it to people who didn't get anything for Christmas. Right. And so, like, okay. they get your yeah. old shit. Yeah. No. I, Boxing Day, like, um, I'm a, I'm a big uh, um Premier League enthusiast, and like Boxing Day is like Thanksgiving. For Thanksgiving is for football. Boxing Day is for for English soccer. So like it's like the big days, the Boxing Day games, and I guess it's kind of yeah, like Christmas okay, Day right. in the NBA. So it's like that's the main like oh it's Boxing Day, but like I mean I'm gonna be working on Boxing Day, so uh, that'll be that's what I'll be up to. But uh, thanks again, thanks again so much, Rich, and thanks to all our listeners, and I'll talk to everyone in a while. Music, it's not just part of our daily lives; it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in. Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.